The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined, as always, every other week by my co-host, Dan, still fighting back against saying always every other week. What do you mean? I don't know if it may quite grammatically makes sense. I've said this before, and you had a problem with me saying this before. Bro, I got a problem with it, bro. Dan is always here every other week. I think that makes sense. That okay. I, I think that grammatically makes sense. Always every other week. Okay. I will agree to disagree on this. That means but... if you will think of this in terms of Fortnite's, which we should uh, apparently think of everything in terms of Fortnite, according to all gaming ads that I see now. <laughs> um, if you think of it in terms of two-week sections, in terms of a two-week section, you are here every two-week section. That's what I believe it means when I say, Always here every other week. All right, man. I guess that kind of makes more sense once you explain it. <laughs> and I would appreciate if you cut the shit out, Dan. You know what? I'm fucking bringing in the heat, okay? Asking the important <sighs> questions. <laughs> Dan's bringing, coming in hot. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Uh, before we get started, uh, how are you doing? Huh, pretty good. How are you doing? I'm fine. I had to deal with installing a new sink this weekend. Uh, our parents, as they always do, insisted on showing up to help, which went, well, let me say this. It, for the most part, went well. <laughs> but there are some, and anyone who works in plumbing or tubing on, on vehicles, I had to deal with this type of thing in the automotive industry. Some tubing connections, one, they might snap in easily, but once they snap in, it like has like rings and things mm -hmm. that dig in and lock it into place. It's in. And that's intentional that they will make you break a tab that breaks the entire connection to unconnect it because they don't want people reconnecting and disconnecting because then the seal may not be good the second or third time. So my dad's like, and then this just clicks right into here and clicked it in before we even put it in the faucet. So I was like, well, now oh. we can't snake it in. So Jesus. then he had to drive back to Home Depot and get it again. And he did it again. Oh, I I was not aware of this whole part of the saga. No, and uh, I've already told you a little bit, of course, we were playing Warzone or something. But yeah, no. And and I found a way of getting it in there and screwing something in with without having him go back again. But uh, yeah. And, and then one of the pipes just didn't work too. So I had a dripping, the cold water line was dripping. I took days to get a plumber to come in, but one did show up. And that wasn't our fault, according to him. It just, one of the pipes is just very, very, very old. Yeah, because the person that sold you this house, as I understand, also did some like shoddy work that made this harder. At least that's what my parents told us. Told it's, me. it's always a bit of a risk when you get a house from a house flipper, one that wasn't commissioned by professionals, because these are people that like, like professionals don't want to hear this, but anyone kind of can put a house together. 
like wood strong, concrete strong, and you can, and, and like any sink comes with directions. Just, you know, put this here, screw this in here. Yeah. However, if you're not a professional, a lot of these guys make some <laughs> sketchy decisions in how they assemble things. And yes, I, I called, mine is certainly no exception to that. Really the example of that, I call him Count Olaf because when I saw his working crew a couple times and he didn't want us to see them, they were some of the oddest looking people I've ever seen. I do think there was a man with two hooks for hands, just like in a series of unfortunate events. But yeah, I call him Count Olaf, the guy who built my house, because he was really shady and had a very weird looking crew of helpers. I wasn't aware about the the crew aspect of it. I always just assumed you called him Count That's Olaf. That's where the idea came from. Dick. I called him. No, I <laughs> called him. I said, yeah. And, and I, it, when I tell these stories, I'll sometimes say, and then Count Olaf came back with his acting troupe. <laughs> I call him his acting troupe. <laughs> Yeah, so I had to deal with that, but it's all done. It's all done. Just several washes of towels that needed to be washed and re-dried several times while I and buckets of water thrown out, but we're nice. good. <laughs> That's good. That's good to hear that you have so a functioning overall, sink again. Yeah, a successful weekend overall. But you know, this is not a plumbing podcast. This is actually a gaming hardware co- podcast, supposedly. So I guess um, I guess we should start getting into it. Just a reminder to everyone that this is fan-supported on Patreon. I think I needed to start doing a better job of mentioning that, that just $2 a month gets you access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, which we're tr- considering increasing the amount of them, uh, asking guest questions on the every other week when you're not here, Dan, despite you hating that. Every other week we have guests on, and you can ask these guest questions ahead of time before we record the show if you're at the $2 tier. You also get access to the Discord. The $4 tier gets early ad-free podcasts every week, including Broken Silicon and Loose Ends. Um, video credits, the entire back catalog of content, $10 tier gets extra voting, your name read every week, the $20 tier gets dedicated extra Discord channels, thanks and die shrinks, double voting capabilities, the list goes on and on. Check it out. Remember, it's there. We just did a die shrink on plans for the channel this year. And I, and I did want to mention all of this just because that post is still there. It's about an hour long of me going over some of the things we're considering doing to upgrade Moore's Law is Dead this year. And we got submissions for that episode to discuss, you know, with the community. But also, I want people to respond to that, the latest die shrink, um, so that we can get feedback from what I propose from the proposals from the fans. So just a reminder that's out there and that uh, I am still looking for feedback because we are almost to the latest Patreon goal, which is just over a thousand patrons. Once we get to that, I'll put the new goal. That will be when we hire more people on staff, a bigger studio more content and higher quality content as usual. And uh, yes, of course, thank you to all those who submitted questions. Um, But yeah, I guess Dan's just nodding a lot. I'll just continue. Um, You know, like I said, if you are a patron, you can submit reader mails. And Amiable Chief is one such patron who submitted a reader mail. And he said, when I hear NVIDIA is selling stuff directly to minors, I can't help but wonder whether they are even of legal age. I mean, this is borderline jailbait and just plan risky. Risky business, Tom. Of course, he is making fun of the you know revelations that have come out in the past couple months. That one of the main reasons that Nvidia had shortages, well, not just shortages, had no No, stock with Ampere for gamers the first two months, not the first one month, guys. The first two months is that they were prioritizing the dies for GA one hundred two to mining firms, 
because they didn't have competition because AMD hadn't launched their cards yet. And now they're showing up. See, that was, again, that was always the thing of the ultimate plays. Are they just doing this to keep prices high? Which I think that was part of it. But now we know it's because they just thought it'd be better to satisfy mining, mining contracts first since they have no competition from AMD. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a, have to do with legal age. Yeah, just just sell it what you got, what you can sell. That's that's their plan, I think. <laughs> and they didn't need yeah. to satisfy the gaming market yet. No, they did not. And Ryan TW says, Tom, what is your favorite airline? American, Delta, United, Southwest Spirit. I'll tell you what, it's definitely not fucking Spirit. <laughs> spirit, I, I, they're they're with you in Spirit because they cancel all your flights. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I've given Spirit a try a few times, and it's not always been bad, but there was one time where I was driving to O'Hare Airport here in Illinois, and halfway there, they canceled the flight like less than two hours before I flew out, and it was a mess. I had to like call a friend to book me a flight while I was driving. <laughs> it, it, it was yeah. a co- And, and there, we were going to see a concert in Portland, Maine, and some friends there. We would have missed, I would have missed the concert. Dan would have been by himself for the first, it would have been a complete mess. It was, it was, and I'm just never dealing with that again, ever. Yeah, that was, I don't know, Delta and American are fine though, I think. Yeah, those are probably the best too. All right, well, Joe writes in and says, please tell me that Dan's screen name is Lieutenant Dan has no legs. You must have seen somewhere that you go by Lieutenant Dan and you're not, that's not the whole name. There's a little thing at the end there you guys don't know so that he remains Somewhat anonymous, but there's a lot of Lieutenant Dan's uh, online, so I don't feel too nervous saying Lieutenant Dan. But whether it's Lieutenant Dan no legs, that's gonna remain a mystery. Yep, you guys are just gonna have to constantly be playing Battlefield Five and Demon Souls and Call of Duty Modern Warfare to see if you can run in. And we've run into other Lieutenant Dan's too, so you can't just assume the first one you see. I've ran into many Lieutenant Dance. It's surprisingly a popular name online. What's stupid is when their name isn't actually Dan. See, it works well for you because your name is Dan. Yeah, that's why I go by it because it makes it, it it's the most natural name I could come up with for me. Like, huh? Huh? I like that movie. I guess we're going to go by Lieutenant Dan forever now. All right, let us get to corrections and omissions. Jory writes in and says, hey, Tom, minor pedantic concern here. Well, we will decide if it's a pedantic concern. Um, But he says, but you mentioned you hadn't pronounced Jomi correctly, which I'm pretty sure you just completely screwed it up again, right, Dan? Definitely. And he goes, but it's basically pronounced as Shiao with a flat tone and me. I, I don't understand, Dan. How do I say this word? I think a high flat tone. So like Xiao Mi? No, like Xiao, Xiao Mi. Mi. Oh, yes, that, that is probably what it is. And Xiao Mi. Oh, yeah, Xiao Mi. Okay. Well, just give me a break here. Like, how many words do I usually have to deal with? Or they just start with an XIA? Um, depending on the country, a lot of words, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. So wait, how do you say it again, Dan? I'm sure if a person... Heard me say it that I'm sure they would say, you're saying it completely wrong, Dan. But uh, I, I read it as he's saying, Xiao me. Like, Xiao me. Yeah. Mm, Xiao me. All right. Carbon Cry also writes in and says, oh boy, this is going to be a long one. He wasn't kidding, by the way. 
I want to dispute a claim or view presented in Broken Silicon 83 regarding the growth of caches in G- CPUs and GPUs. The general sentiment was that cash is being thrown on those chips opportunistically. There is area, there is room in the power budget, and we don't want to improve the UARC, so just throw in a bigger cash. This is sometimes true, like Apple's M1, Cortex M1 could be argued to have done just that, I guess, but the cash itself is inter- an integral part of the UARC. Apple didn't need to wait for their next core because they knew the larger cash would boost their current design and easy enough for laptops. And there's the specific examples on three. You, Tom, I imagine him pointing to me in a very sneering way, pointed to Zen 3 as an example of cash being used to boost a UARC, which is at the end of development, and be replaced by significantly different Zen 4. This is not true. Basically, so for those who don't know, um, we had what I would just describe as a memory and yeah, as a memory and data design expert in the last Broken Silicon. Very uh, popular episode. We gained a lot of patrons from that one. Um, a bit technical, but I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on any of this, and I thought it was very enjoyable to listen to. Um, and we talked about how, I believe it was based on someone else's reader mail, like kind of asking when is it best to add cash, and we kind of like both immediately agreed. It seems like they tend to add a lot of cash um, near the end after several steps of optimizing an architecture. The final one is adding a bunch of cash before a node shrink and complete redesign, mm-hmm. um, which I think in a here, Carbon Cry's problem is thinking that we meant that that's just they threw cash on, which Carbon Cry, I got news for you. Maybe it was my mistake for making it come off that way, but that is not what I think, right? Right. To to be clear, um, I don't think they just threw cash on Zen 3. <laughs> I understand that it was a completely new architecture and redesign and that you, I guess you can sometimes, but that most of the time when cash is added, it wasn't just thrown on. It was a complete redesigned to utilize more cash, and there were reasons they added more cash. This is something I understand. But anyways, let me let me just finish the rest of his reader mail here, because he had Daniel Vega High join in to post the second half of his statement because he ran out of characters in submitting this on Discord. It was, Zen from the start had much more cash than other CPU cores. Why? Because AMD knew they wanted huge core counts, so memory bandwidth per core would be low, as you did speak about it in the same episode. Hence, larger caches to bolster bandwidth and alleviate the bottleneck. Zen 3 doesn't have more cash per core. It has more peak bandwidth per core because of its different organization of cores and casters which is on its own massive architectural change. Well, no, but I think there's a another misconception you have. They did add more cash to Zen 3 on Cezanne versus Renoir, right? Yes. So, no, 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 Carve and Cry. From what I can tell, at the arch- maybe they don't have overall more cash for the chiplet-based designs, but they certainly do for the monolithic designs, which to me, I'm going to stick by, and there'll be some people, and he'll probably attack me again for saying this, but it's very clear that Zen 3 does, at its core level, need or benefit much more from more cash, whereas Renoir had far less, right? And so did the previous one. Now, I understand it wasn't just throwing more cash on Zen 2, of course not, but come on, Carbon Cry. Overall, Zen 3, you can say, on average, has more cash. But anyways, it also has to be rebuilt, rebalancing, but yeah, he Basically, he goes on to say is this wasn't just throwing more cash on board and that Zen 3 could be argued to be a more different of an architecture to Zen 2. I mean, to Zen 2 than Zen 2 was to Zen 1. And I also have a problem with saying that because for the design of it, maybe, like at the core of Zen 3 is maybe required more design work. 
by the core design team than Zen 2 did over Zen 1. But that's not everything that goes into making a product. You cannot tell me it didn't require a ton of extra work at the macro level for Zen 2 because they had to also design this chiplet and also like, you know, come to terms with what's required to ship all these different chips together and manufacture them on one, you know, board and then put them on a like that. Like Zen 3 literally uses the same IO die. Right. Yeah, and, and I don't know. So They're- I disagree by saying that this is a bigger redesign, maybe at the core level. But overall, no, Zen 3 required, I believe, a bit less work than Zen 2 did over Zen 1. There was a huge undertaking going to the change in chiplet design that Zen 2 brought to the table. And I, I mean, there's been pretty significant changes for every generation of Zen, I would say, hasn't there? Like, Yeah, well, I mean, I th- again, I think for the overall effort required, Zen 2 was clearly the biggest change. I do see his point, though, that the overall art core architecture itself wasn't as different, but eh. I eh. disagree that it that it didn't take more work, though, for yeah. the overall company. I, I mean, yeah, Zen 2 was huge. <laughs> All right. I almost didn't answer that question, Carbon Cry, because of how long it was. But I thought, I thought it would be good, too, because I did have some to say here. Um, now, Blokes writes in, and he says, I would bet 20 bacon bits that the 17 gigabit per second GDR6 on the 3060 is due to it being a 10 plus 2 GPU setup, and this is the new GTX 970. Well, I highly doubt that. (laughs) I don't think that I'd do that again. But he does bring up, when it comes to memory speed, some interesting things. And so let us get to story number one. So NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3060 12 gigabyte GDDR6 Graphics cards official Ampere GA 106 GPU launching in February for $329. I'm now quoting here, I believe from WCCF. NVIDIA has officially announced its GeForce RTX 3060 graphics card based on the Ampere architecture for a price of $329 US. The GeForce 3060 is the most affordable RTX graphics card within the Ampere family so far, and the second graphics card within the RTX 3060 series lineup with it, with the 3060 Ti technically being the first one, though that one is based on GA104. NVIDIA has officially announced uh, the car. Let me see here. And then they repeat themselves, of course, because it's WCCF tech and they don't fact, <laughs> they don't read their own articles, apparently. But yeah, so I had to throw this in there, of course, uh, even though I did a video on it. Uh, WC, I mean, um, NVIDIA announced the 3060 for a cheaper price than I think most people expected. As I covered in my video, I think there was, well, there was clearly, because, you know, I've heard this from a couple sources. Gamers Nexus did a video talking about this, how they were trying to make what was clearly going to be a 356 gigabyte card become a 256 gigabyte card. And it and it's because they knew the 6700 XT was going to be very competitive. And it sounds like instead of doing that, they've decided to just make it a 12 gigabyte card for 330 because, I mean, they would have had no margins at 250. I don't know. I think it's pretty funny that this has the most RAM of any um, <laughs> any Ampere card aside from the 3090. I think that indicates there's probably going to be a shakeup in the lineup, or you pretty much already know that. But let me jump in there on that because they were planning to make it a six gigabyte card for between 300 to 350. Um, that actually the 3060 Ti was rumored to be 450, but mm-hmm. then after they saw how good Big Navi was. And the rumors, again, that, that I've covered about the 6700 XT, that, well, it wouldn't beat the 3060 Ti. It would have more RAM and 
be cheaper to manufacture, and be fairly close, probably within the same tier as the 3060 Ti, although weaker, that they had to do something. And this was always going to happen. They were always going to have to make either a 16 gigabyte 3070 or a 12, you know, like at a certain point, making things a little cheaper isn't going to work. At some point, because they skimped on VRAM capacity, one of these cards was going to make the others look stupid. And this is the one. Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, I just don't know what you do with advertising these cards anymore because th- this architecture, is, I mean, this uh, lineup is so all over the place. And I don't know. I, 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 I question uh, what card people should really decide to get uh, if you're going to go for this tier in performance, if you're going to NVIDIA. I don't know, the 3060 could be a good option. The best option if you can get it for 330, which I doubt you can get it for 330, but you know, we can hope. So, and in my video, I, I said that this, which I believe, let me look, what was this thing titled? This is not the RTX 3060 NVIDIA wanted, mm-hmm. right? I said this isn't what they wanted, but competition brings better products. And from what I'm seeing, this looks like the card to get unless you want an ultra high-end card, which if you do, I'm not paying the prices I'm seeing right now. So again, and and let me say that. Again, my advice would be, unless, which AMD has extended how long they will manufacture their reference cards and sell them from their website. So I personally, if I was looking for a high-end card, assuming I had a card that works still today, would just keep looking for 6800, 6800 XTs to show up on AMD's own website around MSRP, because that's what I would want. Right. And I and I stand yeah. by, you know, 650 for something, you know, 650 for the 6800 XT. That's double the performance of my Radeon 7. Sounds good to me. You know, that's a fine price, I think. Um, but any, but any more than like it, certainly at 800, it's not that it's necessarily a ripoff relative to NVIDIA. It's just I'm not paying that price for a high end grade. I'm not paying that price. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if I'm yeah, not going to, I have a hard time recommending it. Like I had a hard, like I even told people probably shouldn't buy the Radeon Seven, but I bought it for professional work, right? And so if I yeah. prob, if I had a problem re- recommending the Radeon Seven to people, what do you think I think about these eight hundred to one thousand dollar cards, guys? You know, so in other words, the thirty sixty looked like the one to get price performance wise, but I might have to amend my recommendation, which I do say in the video. You know, let's wait for reviews and see what happens, but. The reporting at the time on the RTX 3060 is that it had 17 gigabit per second memory, which I pointed out because I thought it was hilarious. That would give it less than a 10% difference in bandwidth between this and the 3060 Ti. (laughs) You cannot tell me they planned to do that from the beginning. And again, which also goes back to why did they not give the 3070 and the 3060 more band, 3060 Ti more bandwidth? It's so weird. But apparently it might have 15 gigabit per second memory. And I think it does. And I only say think because Video Cards is talking about how AIBs were still putting 14 gigabit per second on their early boxes, and now they have to change them. So (laughs) to me, it sounds like NVIDIA was going to change it to 17, and then now they're confirming it's 15. That's, um, I don't know. That's strange. I guess... I don't know if this is something that happens often and we just never see it, or if this is just a really weird case and we're just seeing the story as it develops because, you know, we pay attention to leaks. But, well, yeah, this is a hastily launched product. And that was clearly I mean, changed I, quickly. 
And I'm hearing the same things about the 3080 Ti. AIBs are so pissed, like because they prepared to launch a 3080 20 gigabyte in December, and then they had to scrap everything, like their boxes. And now, and now Nvidia is delaying the 3080 Ti indefinitely, um, which I don't believe is a major story here. But that's the rumor, at least, that is that they're delaying it indefinitely just because supply issues. Which we've talked about before, Dan. I don't know why they're launching any new cards if they can't keep anything in stock. Like I would just launch a 3060, and even if it's not good versus AMD, they're not even competing with AMD yet. So, but I mean, like by the time things calm down, they might as well just have an RTX 4000 series ready. If you ask me, I mean, yeah, they're they're competing against the uh, they're competing with the ability for a semi semiconductor uh, manufacturer to make wafers. That's that's all they're competing with at this point. So. Yeah, there's no need to refresh their lineup. I'm sure AIBs are super frustrated. I'm guessing a lot of money is just being thrown down the drain right now because they have to scrap boxes, which, I mean, that doesn't sound expensive, but if you produce a lot of boxes, you're wasting a lot of money. And then let me do some scratch math here because there's some other interesting things to talk about as well. So the 3060 was originally rumored to have 3840. CUDA cores, now mm-hmm. it has 3584. And of course, we also thought that it had 17 gigabit per second memory. But now, let me see here. I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing some math in a different window here. Uh, but now apparently it has 15. This isn't as, it's stronger than the worst case scenario, which was probably going to be, you know, whatever, you know, like 14 gigabit per second, only six gigabytes. But it's not... Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not as strong as I think they're leading everyone to, on to believe. Like, <clears throat> case in point, their 3060 laptop slide says, whatever it is, like 35% stronger than a PS5, which I'm just going to tell you right now, full GA106 is not that much stronger. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 to beat the PS5, you need a 3070, at least, I would say. Um, uh, at least for, uh, not all of the games perform perfectly, but some of the ones I've seen, like, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and, the, and Spider-Man and Demon's Souls. It's like, this is clearly not a 3060, you guys. But the, the laptop 3060, I just found this out today while doing some last-minute research, might only have 3,072 CUDA Ugh. cores. That's... So to call it a 36, and it will be clocked lower, calling this a 3060 is just straight-up lying. I mean, that, that, would, that would be 15% fewer cores. That's... I don't know. It's not good, man. <laughs> yeah. So the le- and so I guess that's about all I have to say is AMD still definitely has room to compete with this well. I I think some people are saying AMD's box out of the market, AMD screwed. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it just matters at least not based on what I'm hearing. It just matters what they price it at and I know they can price it at the same price and how soon they can launch it. And again, the, just the final thing to say again is apparently from what I'm reading and again, I've seen different reporting from different websites. The full GA106i, I believe, is 4096 CUDA cores. So if the full die is 4096, and then the desktop one is 3584, I assumed the laptop one then would get the full die but be clocked lower to be more efficient. Mm-hmm. But that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the laptop 3060 with even less, you know. But then I'm also seeing Tech Power Up reported as slightly more. But no one's reporting it getting the full die. So I have no clue what's going on here. Maybe they're saving the full die for the professional market, but I, I don't know. There's very confusing reporting around the 3060 when I did some last-minute research here before recording this. I, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, 
I, I think we just need to wait for what NVIDIA officially says then about the uh, laptop version of the 3060. But you remember that this is recorded on uh, Monday evening, the 18th. So who knows? Yeah, maybe what something may comes come out, out about this by after that. You know, I'm trying to get away from doing those last minute edits and just putting it out there and saying, hey, we report the news every two weeks. We'll update any new developments every two weeks uh, and in my videos. But um, and again, just one more time. 3072 CUDA cores instead of 3584 and six gigabytes instead of 12 in the laptop. And then it's also clocked probably 20, 30% lower. Like this is, this is like not, half as strong. <laughs> so, well, it's not, it's not going to be like but, 30% weaker or, or some, and plenty of lap. Let's put it this way. A lot of laptops will be 30% weaker. Maybe not all of them. Yeah. And, and when I look at the 3070 as well, uh, the 3070 laptop edition as well, which is also cut down by 20% with 20% lower clocks or something from the desktop version. I mean, in reality, the 3070 laptop will perform closer to a 3060. The 3080 laptop edition, which is GA104, not 102, is going to perform in most laptops worse than a 3070. This is really frustrating to me to see this bullshit, to be honest. Well, and that's kind of how they used to market that cards, but it looked like they were getting away from that, which was nice to With see. With Pascal and Turing, yeah. Yeah, and it was nice to see that, and I, we were hoping that that's how they would continue to market these their cards, but no, it's clear that they just did that because they could, and now that they can't anymore, they're going back to their old naming schemes that don't make any sense. The, the problem I have is that before they said, like, for example, uh, you know, GTX 680M, yeah, which, if I remember correctly, was either like a 660 Ti or an underclock 670, effectively. But it had M after it, and that was it. There was no laptop edition. That's Max true. Q. And when you say Max Q, Max Q only ever meant like min maxing efficiency. Meaning, some people complain, "Oh, it is lower clocks." I'm like, "Yeah, but it is the same card, right? Yeah. It's just min maxed for efficiency, so they can fit a 2080 Super Die in a." thin Razer laptop, which is really cool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yes, you will have to undervolt the Max-Q to get it to perform close to the desktop version. Sorry. But they weren't, I didn't really see it as lying. Calling this 3060 laptop edition and it being 40% weaker is lying. Like, just call it the 3060M so we know it's not the same card. Yeah, I, I guess I, I see what you're saying with, at least with the M, there is a designation that this isn't literally a 680 even. I guess I hadn't really thought about the fact that they're calling, they're marketing it as like la the laptop version of the 3060, which I don't know, I guess it technically is, but they're different cards. Right. All right. I think we've said all we have to about that. <laughs> ben Cannon writes in and says, would you bet 12 gigabytes of GDR6 that a professional race car drive or going 100 miles per hour with little Timmy across the channel is, okay, I'm not reading. This is getting out of control, Ben Cannon. But I will skip ahead to what your actual question is. Uh, he says, he basically is pointing out how ridiculous it is that NVIDIA is marketing the 3060 as having 10 times the ray tracing performance of the 1060. Um, and I, and I, you know, I saw a lot of people in my Discord and online on Twitter and in comments sections and forums like, oh, look how dumb this is. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. Again, par for the course for their marketing. Is this any different than the marketing, you know, Turing as having whatever it was, six times better ray tracing, 10 times better ray tracing performance than a 1080 Ti. It's like, yeah, I know it didn't have it before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I, I hadn't seen that marketing. That That's hilarious, though. 
Like, but like, is this new? Like they do this with every generation. They always try to find some way of saying their new product is 10 times better, even though it's like 30% better. Yeah. And I, I mean, I remember in previous releases, they would do, they sometimes like use confusing terminology to make a statement that's not technically incorrect, like double the performance of the 1070 or whatever for their new, for their new big card. It's like, okay, but let's look at what you're actually comparing so we can have an honest discussion on your marketing. But they want they want it to show you a big solid number. They don't want to say it's 30% better than their old cards because that's not as sexy. No, and 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 I actually think the most egregious marketing is one that I will never stop bringing up, which is I mean, them claiming the 3080 is twice as strong as the 2080. And it's it not. wasn't even like 70% stronger. Like this is, you know, because that's just, and, 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 and what made that especially egregious is it went hand in hand with them showing gigantic coup core numbers that were misleading so that people would believe that. And it, it's just, that was just a straight up lie. <laughs> I, I mean, I, this I was probably 10 times better ray tracing performance. They're probably not lying. Yeah, I'm sure they aren't. But I, I mean, when I saw that, I'll, when I saw the they were doubling compute unit, I mean, uh, core count, cuticle core counts, my bullshit detector immediately went off. So <laughs> that's that's where I'm coming from. Like, okay, I think they're o- probably overselling this a little bit then, which they w- we were right about that. <laughs> Our bullshit detector I, was right. And again, as I said in my NVIDIA video from last week, I don't hate Ampere. I think there's some really interesting things in its design. I just hate, like, if they would have just come out and said 30, 90, you know, 50% better than the uh, Titan RTX, although I think it's really closer to like 40 or 45%. I think that would be like 50% better than 2080 Ti. I would have been like, wow, that's a lot. That's better than before. But they didn't. They came out and had to pretend it's twice as strong as. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> they keep I know. doing this. It's like Nvidia. It's impressive if you just tell the truth, but you, you can't do it, can you? You just can't tell the truth, can you? It hurt you. Yeah, because it's like it's a good increase in performance year, uh, generation over generation, but you immediately make every review have to address the fact that you basically lied and tried to make it look better than it was, and. I don't know, maybe your day one reception when you release a card would be better if you stopped lying. Yes, indeed. But speaking of lying, perhaps we should talk about an AMD lie. Ooh. There's no way for me to say that right. AM, AM, AM delusion. An AM delusion. Ooh. I, I, guess, I guess we can call that a lie. Sure. So story number two. NVIDIA reveals resizable bar support for GeForce RTX 30 series products. Quoting from Overclock 3D, NVIDIA has confirmed that resizable bar support is coming to the RTX 30 series graphics cards, allowing NVIDIA's latest graphics card to utilize the optional PCIe function to enable increased performance within many gaming applications. Resizable bar support allows the CPU to access the entirety of a graphics card's frame buffer, allowing more data transfers to happen concurrently and increasing the performance of a variety of PC titles. AMD calls their implementation of this feature, 
smart access memory, and NVIDIA's fast implementation of resizable bar support within their graphics card should show you how impactful this feature can be. NVIDIA has confirmed that they have been working with Intel, AMD, and motherboard manufacturers like Asus, ASRock, EVGA, Gigabyte, and MSI to enable resizable bar support across a wide range of motherboards. The reason I said AM AM Delusions is, remember I told you guys I was in a closed-door presentation where they were going over RDNA 2 features, you know, Zen 3 features, and where they allowed us to ask questions. And someone asked, like, you know, this, you know, smart access memory, will this come to other products? And AMD said, well, we don't think it's easy to implement quickly. So we don't think it will for like half a year to a year. And again, let me just say this it's not here yet on everything, but there have been motherboard manufacturers that, <laughs> including Intel ones, that have already added it. And considering how fast this is rolling out, uh, just in a sporadic way, I think AMD was misleading us with how much effort was required. Either that or NVIDIA really tried this hard. I don't know. I, well, I just feel like AMD misled us a little bit by acting like, oh, it's really only doable with a new Zen 3 thing. And maybe I'm misremembering, but the motherboards that had enabled that for Intel CPUs already, that it was specifically for RDNA uh, 2 cards, wasn't it? Or well, like... What was uh, the question? Motherboards that had already enabled, I guess we'll call it smart access memory, right? I'll, I'll say that. Uh, it was only enabled for Intel CPUs with an AMD graphics card, correct? Or is that wrong? Um, yes, at okay. first it was. But that's because it's already in Radeon drivers. Oh, so they just I had to write it from the other end to support it, which NVIDIA is working on, you know, allowing it on their end. And, this, and by the way, this also reminds me this whole smart access memory situation of FreeSync versus G-Sync. Like FreeSync had already existed. All, all it was was syncing the frames to the refresh and it was used on laptops to save energy sometimes. That's it. <laughs> it was already there. But NVIDIA was the only one who's like, what if we put this on desktop so we have no screen tearing and less input latency and, and just like significantly better perceived frame rates when they dip. And then AMD added it as quickly as, you know, support for it as quickly as they could. But, you know, bars the same thing. It's just allowing, because like, I forgot what it was, but I guess before, technically the OS could only reference like 256, I think, megabytes of the VRAM at once. And AMD's like, why don't we just allow more threads if you have them in your CPU to access more of the memory at once? And yeah, you can get up to a 10% performance boost. This was always there. They just thought to do it. And now I, NVIDIA's rushing, just like FreeSync. Yeah, I, I think it's hilarious just how fast NVIDIA comes up with an answer to this. Like, <laughs> obviously, there's the one perspective. AMD kind of misled uh, misled everyone by saying this is only doable on uh, their new plan on their new products. But it's kind of funny that just what no one thought to do it until now, and now NVIDIA might respond in like four months after AMD's version of it comes out. Yeah, and, and so let's just skip right ahead here to story number three, because I, I think we already covered it, but let's just mention yeah. it exactly. Like we do have a release date for the RTX 3080 to laptops. So that's story number three, NVIDIA bringing 3080 to laptops in January 26, less than six months after the introduction of the RTX 3000 series. GPUs for desktop, NVIDIA is bringing 
3060, 3070, and 3080 to gaming laptops. NVIDIA is promising big energy efficiency gains here thanks to its new Ampere architecture alongside the obvious performance improvements over the RTX 2000 series laptops. Uh, more than 70 gaming app laptops will be available with the new RTX 3070 and 3080 mobile GPUs on January 26th with the 3060 laptops to follow on February 2nd. Prices start at 1000 for 3060 models. If I remember correctly, it was like 1300 for 3070 models. But as we've already discussed in the story number one, again, remember, the when they say 3060 laptops for 1000 you're really probably getting like 2060 per desktop performance. This is not yeah. stronger than the PS5 <laughs> or Xbox Series X, for sure not. What what I think you mentioned it earlier. What did they say? The 3060 Ti was like 1.6 times stronger or 1.3 times stronger than the next gen consoles or something. Yeah. yeah, which which if you go to my hierarchy chart, I would say it's close to the same performance as of now. Although I reserve the right to change my opinion once we see more games more come out that come better out. utilize yeah. the PS5 and Xbox Series X. But right now, that's what I'd say. And I've always said next gen consoles will be around a 2080 Ti stronger than a 2080. And I think that's why I just said, for now, let me put it at the 3060 Ti. I've seen games where I think you can make the argument it's performing like a 3070, but there's also some games that don't use the consoles well. It's just called a 3060 Ti. Uh, 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 yeah, I think that's fair for right now. I mean, what, we can change our assessment as time goes on. But um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we had mentioned most of our thoughts on this story earlier. On that, it's unfortunate that they're going they're going to this misleading marketing term where I don't know the thirty eighty is weaker than a thirty seventy on the laptop edition is weaker than a thirty seventy probably right theoretically if you have the proper cooling and you allowed it to use one fifty watts I think you could and then you undervolted it I could see a mobile thirty eighty perform outperforming the thirty seventy on desktop it has double the RAM. I believe it has 15 gigabit per second memory, not 14. And it also has about 10% more CUDA cores. Okay. So if you were able to undervolt it to the point where it could clock as high or higher than the desktop version, I do think the 3080 laptop edition could perform in between a desktop 3070 and 3080. It's just when I look at the clock speeds, and I believe it's like 1.1 to 1.7 gigahertz, I'm going to guess most laptops are clocking this thing substantially lower than the 3070, thus lucky to perform as well as the 3070 on desktop most of the time. Yeah, I, and I, and the 3080 is also based off of a GA-104, right? The, yeah, but it's it's the full GA-104. It's the full, okay. Like laptop 3060. <laughs> Which is 25% uh, disabled, it looks like, of the full dime. Yeah, fourth of it's cut off. Yeah, unlike the desktop version. I don't know. It's it's kind of stupid. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the last thing I would say about all of these laptops is, unfortunately, as much as I do feel like they're misleading in how they perform, which basically take the laptop version, subtract twenty to forty percent performance. Like, let's wait yeah. for reviews. I just say I think it's really going to be closer to subtract twenty five percent, but let's just say twenty to forty because I bet there's some laptops where it performs way way worse. But <laughs> but um. Having said that, if they can actually put a solid like one terabyte SSD, a nice screen, 16 gigabytes of RAM, and an eight-core processor with the 3060 in a laptop for one grand sold, shipped, I have to it's, say that that's not a bad choice over building a desktop right now when you're scrambling to get like a $300 graphics card, 
a $300 processor, a motherboard, RAM, your desktop may end up being about the same price as this 3060 laptop. It will outperform it probably by 30%, but also this is built for you, comes with a self-contained warranty, and it's a laptop you can bring anywhere. Yeah, and, and it has a monitor. Stupid. It has a monitor built in, right? So if you don't have a monitor, and some of these OLED is becoming more standard. It was special last year when I got my studio laptop with a 4K OLED, but this is starting to, I think I saw somewhere advertised with 90 hertz OLED 4K, which is, Really, probably the sweet spot for 4K gaming right now with high-end graphics cards, I think. I think 4K 90 is pretty, very easy to do if you have one of the strongest cards, like a 3080 or something. So, I don't know. I I just, it's unfortunate. I just have to point that out, though, that if these prices are true, I do feel like this would tempt me to just get a laptop this year over a desktop if you're desperate to build. And then again, that's why we tell you don't buy parts ahead of time. Buy them all at once because if you're just waiting for a graphics card and you have nothing in an empty system, maybe you should have just waited to build a laptop. Yeah, and yeah, we started off by criticizing it, but it, I think it would be hard to build a PC with a 3060 uh, for $1,000. It would be hard to do that. Right now. Right now, and Things yes. normalize, but I don't think because of New my a new mining boom because there just seems to be no end to the insatiable demand for gamers right now. Again, just go to eBay and look how much used cards are selling for. That's your real bellwether for how much demand there is. Like it's like I don't see this. I, I think things could get better, but I don't see things being quote unquote normal. If you consider two years ago, a year and a half ago, normal like until the end of this year or something. And I'm not even sure because you never know what could happen with the mining boom. I, and I do, again, I have to point this out again, like, which I think there's a reader mail near the end that we'll get to. But when you look at the mining, um, what is it? The, the, the mining uh, profitability, it's not even half of what it was in 2017. I mean, some people are telling me they're making like $200 a month with their, which you would have to have dirt cheap energy and no, yeah. heat and, and no cooling cost to have $200 a month in profit with a 3080. Like, yeah, but that's like an $800 graphics card. I was making $300 a month with a Fury Nitro in 2017. <laughs> Each yeah. one of my 570s was making $300 in 2017 and 2018 per month. I, I don't think people that are saying this is a new mining boom realize how easy and profitable mining was in 2017. Like, it's not to say it's not profitable now. It's just remember that if it takes you like six or seven months to make back your money, Look, it doesn't matter if it's your gaming desktop. Make some money on the side. Who cares? You should do that. But it's not like you, you don't know what will happen to Ethereum in seven months. We just saw Ripple's price get crushed by an investigation by the SEC. Only Bitcoin's decentralized. So and I know this is where people will type Ethereum's decentralized too. Yeah, it's not. It's controlled by Vitalik. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's not decentralized. Okay. And if you see Ripple get sued for... Um, putting out an unregistered security, there's definitely grounds to, for them to go after Ethereum, even if they've said they're not going to yet. There's definitely still grounds to do it. They can change their mind whenever they want. Yeah, that I mean... worry Ethereum people who hold it. Just, which is to say, make sure you're selling your Ethereum you mine at the peaks for Bitcoin or something because you do not want to hold altcoins long-term unless you're willing to lose it all. It's just more risky. You could make more money. I have before, but you could also make nothing. Made nothing for my Pascal coin. Nothing. Yeah, d- I should have sold it. <laughs> don't don't keep your Ethereum. <laughs> yeah, 
But I don't know, any, any last things to say about these laptops? I mean, they are exciting. It's just, again, like you said, we said some good things about them after you know, saying some bad things. It's like, again, if they were just honest, I'd have only good things to say about NVIDIA products. Yeah, I, I, I know. And that's the unfortunate conclusion I'm coming to. Can you, you guys are making some good stuff right now. Can you just be honest about what it is though? Um, because if that, if you can get a $1,000 laptop with a 3016 and eight core, get it. <laughs> Indeed. And speaking of prices, FEO2X writes in and says, Hi, Tom and Dan. I hope you had a great start to 2021. I can remember times when the highest GPU would cost is around $500. With the 1080 Ti, the price all of a sudden went up to $700. It's something people don't understand, too, is that like the 1080 Ti only looks like a bargain compared to now. At the time, it looked like NVIDIA just raised prices two to $300. But um, he says, we are now at around 1000 to 2000 for the top-end cards. My questions are this. Number one, have the bills of materials and R&D costs for GPUs actually increased over the years? Do you have rough values for comparison? So let's just go one by one here. So yeah, number one, for AMD, a little bit. For NVIDIA, a lot, but not as much as they're charging, Like right? Like the 3080's price is pretty much what it has to cost, actually. The 3090 should probably just be $1,200 if we're going based on Pascal and before eras. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my understanding is GA104 makes decent money. So the 3070, right, should probably be, like all things considered, they should probably have just used normal GDR6 to save money and cooling costs on the 3080 and sold it for 650. And then the 3090 should have been a thousand, right? It is an expensive card. It is to make, but not fifteen hundred. And again, this is not this is not Turing price. I'm saying if we're going to go back to Maxwell and before days, um, and the um, 3070 should probably be 450. 3060 Ti should probably be 400. 3060 should probably just be 300. You know, so it's like yes and no. But of course, the AIB models are just tacking on one to four hundred dollars. So. Yeah, I, I, and AMD is making a killing on these cards. So uh, even though they're selling them for better price performance sometimes in NVIDIA, although right now, let's not even get into that argument <laughs> considering how all of the price prices are. But um, but yeah, so there's some justification not right now, but there certainly wasn't for Turing. Well, right? yeah, it, it, I mean, if you're looking at, if you're looking at the comparable GPU they would have launched uh, like six years ago, I mean, I think across the board, pretty much everything is eighty to five hundred dollars more expensive than whatever comparable card they would have released at the time. Um, and I, I know Ampere GA one hundred two is more expensive to manufacture than fucking everything. It seems, but a lot of it's due to its extensive power and, and just voltage, like, I don't know how to put it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just, it's a hard to tame, unstable die, whereas GA104 is significantly cheaper, the overall board, because you don't need such an elaborate... I mean, like, Samsung yeah. really isn't equipped to make dies this big, even though they can. Yeah. And, yeah, so, just a lot cheaper to make them, uh, GA104. And, I don't know, you've sent me... You've shown me BOMs of... Uh, of AMD uh, cards and they're pretty they're making they're making a killing on them aren't they they're making how would i put it right pascal they're making almost they're making like turing profits on some of these big navi cards yeah yeah and 
I mean, not you, the lower ones, but the top ones, yeah. And you see that, like the sixty nine hundred. That is, one's making absurd. That's one. That one's making Nvidia profits through and through, definitely. Yeah, and they can sell it at a thousand dollars for what? They can sell it at a thousand dollars for pretty much the same performance as a thirty ninety. Like, yeah, that's why they can because Nvidia is selling one for fifty percent more. Yeah, yeah, for like three percent more performance and better performance in a feature that no one uses. And, you know, there's a lot of people that were like, well, they should make it cheaper. It's like, dude, they can't keep them on store shelves. Uh, even though they nerfed mining performance at the architecture level for RDNA 2. So I do think, I will say this, I do believe Ampere cards will always be hard to get, but I could see a situation where AMD starts coming in sock and taking real gaming market share soon. Because AMD does not want these sold to gamers. You can look it up. They intend to keep selling RDNA 1 to get to miners. Oh, Oh, you said gamers for RDNA 2. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, they they don't need to lower prices. And on it's you need to come to the conclusion this isn't a charity. AMD isn't a charity. It sucks that they're selling for these cards for $1,000, but people are buying them. And they're going to keep selling it at $1,000 as long as people keep buying them. Right. And his second question, FEO2X asks, even if they have, I still think the price increases are rather based on business decisions than technical necessities. Most of, yes, most of the price increases are not bombs related. It is just a business decision, guys. Um, He goes, what would you think would be a fair consumer-friendly price for modern high-end GPUs? Well, I'm, I I was thinking about this question before we started recording, and I and I actually think there's always like there is an act, there's an easy and measurable answer to this. What is the fair price? And you can just compare them to the consoles, right? Like, uh, yeah, you can't say they should be the same price performance. I think that's just straight up unrealistic. Not even that's unrealistic to expect that. But I, I think, and I, there was a video I always thought of doing, which is what is the true fair price of a GPU that was going to go over this. But the conclusion I come to is like. I think a card that is the same performance as an entire console should be cheaper than the entire console. Maybe not half the price, but most of it. So the 3060 is for sure weaker than the Xbox Series X, and yet it costs three, you know, and yet it costs about that much less. So it's not better price performance, and it's just the same, you know. So and then you look at the 3060 Ti, which is about the same performance, same price as the PS4. And remember, your PCs don't have Blu-ray players, so let's go and compare this to the $400 PS5, which is what I meant to say. Did I say PS4? Yeah, you said yeah. PS4. I'm always going to mix up PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. Sorry, guys. There's so many console names now. Um, but yeah, so if the PS5 is $400 and 3060 Ti is the same performance for $400, I don't think that's a fair price. Like, I don't. And you can get mad at me for saying that, but it's like, okay, well, you need to build an entire PC to have the same performance, and we can get into the pros and cons of having a PC, which is fine. But if you're talking about just for gaming, I don't think that's fair. I, or I don't, I don't think it's worth the money. I don't. I'm just yeah, gonna be and what, the 3060 Ti? Uh, a build with a 3060 Ti is probably going to come that out to like, at this 1200 point, 1200 or something. $12 to $1,500, I would think. It's... it's it, it, <laughs> It's going to be a lot more expensive than the PS5 or Xbox Series X. Uh, end of story. Um, I I don't know what the point of buying that as, if it's just for gaming. It's th- there isn't a point to buying it if it's just. And for this gaming. is an uncomfortable conversation that 
if you ask me, a lot of tech tubers and tech reviewers are afraid to say out loud, but I'm saying it out loud. It's bullshit pricing. And you're paying double, triple, quadruple the price, which you could get for the same performance in a console that just doesn't have Windows updates. Yeah. which uh, and, and that's my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, but at least acknowledge how absurd this is getting. Please acknowledge it because it, what's important to point out is like, oh, well, no, no, no. Don't say it's always like this because it wasn't. Like, if you go back to the, I mean, God, if you just go back to even like the PS4 launch, it basically had a GPU around 7870 performance. And don't don't you argue with me. Like, I've had this argument a million times. <laughs> it had more bandwidth than the 7870, the PS4 did. And it had, um, but less cores. But it also had more ROPs and more yeah. asynchronous compute units, I believe. Or at least more asynchronous compute units, I know that for sure. So no, no, no. It had, it was basically, it wasn't, it wasn't literally a 7870, but it had some more better specs, some worse. Let's just call it a 7870. I think the 7870 launched for like $300 or something in 2012, maybe 350 Something so, like that. Yeah. I think it was like 350 in 2012. So that's a year before the PS4 comes out. You have a graphics card that's cheaper than what the PS4 was at launch. Right. So, so that, so with that mindset, apples to apples, that would be like if the 2080 Super, although it's stronger than the 2080 Super, but let's just humor me. Just say it's the 2080 Super, not 2080 Ti. That'd be like if the 2080 Super was 300 and like even adjusting for inflation was like 450. Like, we're double the price they used to be, even if you account for inflation. And I, 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 the response I always hear is, well, Instead of this is always like, well, what uh, it's it's tough to put an objective value on something, but I don't think it is because it's competing with consoles, and it is. Yeah, it is. Why do you think Nvidia compares their new laptops to the PS5? Because they know they're competing, so you can say they're not, but Nvidia doesn't agree with you. Yeah, and they're trying to get you to buy that laptop instead of a PS5 or Xbox Series X, and if you shouldn't, like. If that's the reason you're getting it, if it's just a performance argument, then that's not why you get that laptop. You get that laptop because of all of the other things you can do with a laptop because you can bring it anywhere, open it up and use it. Although to game, you're going to have to plug it in anyways, actually. But it comes with a monitor, you know, so factor like $300 in there for its nice OLED monitor if that's what it comes from. You know, so like there's arguments for that laptop. When you look at a desktop, if you're just getting it to game, it's like, I think the answer is pretty easy. You know, I think a high-end graphics card, if it's crazy performance over double the performance of a console, should not be more than double the price of the entire console. And I think a graphics card that's around the same price as a console should be, I mean, same performance as a console should be a bit cheaper. Maybe not all the way cheaper because maybe you already have the desktop. There's more things you can do with the graphics card. I'm not disregarding those arguments, but I am saying that you can't just go crazy. Again, let's just put it this way. Uh, the 7970, especially after you overclocked it, could get to close to double the performance of a PS4. And it came out a year before it for 600. So basically, it's a graphics card that costs 50, well, for like 550, I think, but most AIs yeah, were yeah. 600. Um, let's just say it was, you know, so you're paying 50% more, but you're getting double the performance of the next gen console a year before the console comes out. That's a fair price for sure. And by the time the console came out, it wasn't, well, actually, I don't remember how much you paid how much it would have been by then, but it was definitely, you could definitely get it for below like $500 by the time. I got my 7970 used for like 390. Okay. When like, uh, yeah, like half a year, I think a year before the PS, yeah, before the PS4 
4 came out, yeah. So it, Xbox One. It, it, that's the only real measure we have, that and comparing it to old generations, like looking at the looking at the same card from that generation. And both tell us it's got they've gotten like twice as expensive, pretty much. And again, let's go back to what I said earlier. If you put the 6800 XT at 650, it's okay. I think we do have to just accept prices are up. I would say mm-hmm. it should probably be 600 relative to where things used to be. But 650 is okay. But once it hits 800, I'm just I'm just not interested. Like, yeah. get mad at me for saying that, but I'm not. So, like, I'm playing the same games you are. I think they look fine with the resolution turned down a bit. Uh, if you don't, okay, you know. And I guess with the caveat, as we've said before, there's more expensive hobbies. So just make sure that's what it is, because I hope you're getting this to play the games. There's games on some of these consoles you can't get on PC. And some of the, th- I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think we've said enough about this. We're going to get into yeah. the whole, we're going to get into a whole flame war and discussion about other stuff. <laughs> Let us move on to story number four. So Intel previews Rocket Lake unveils Tiger Lake H35 and teases Alder Lake. Quoting here, at CES, Intel unveiled what it's packing this year. And so far, it's much much... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not quoting. This was my own write-up. Let me... So yeah, because there was so much about Intel's CES presentations that I just did my own write-up, like I, like a little, little mini article. So let me read my own write-up here. At CES, Intel unveiled what it's packing this year. And so far, it's not much in this writer's opinion. In summary, Rocket Lake should match Zen 3's gaming performance and will certainly win in some 1080p games. However, Moore's Law's dead still feels what they have shown isn't definitively suggesting a big win if a win at all this is unlikely to even be like the 9900k versus 3900x it will be closer to comparing an 8700k to a 3900x and again uh, i did a video on this so links in the description guys if you want to know my opinion on rocket lake but um Additionally, Tiger Lake H35 is really just an overclocked Tiger Lake U. That is to say, it's a quad-core stopgap before hopefully excellent eight-core models launch. It's just a quad-core Tiger Lake clock faster. And so it's going to get hosed by Cezanne. And then Alder Lake has been shown, and that's it. They showed it in a picture. You know, Alder Lake exists. That's all we can really say so far. So what did you... I mean, I don't know how much of this you saw, Dan. I mean, what do you have to say about these... Intel CES unveilings, previews, and teasers. Um, I mean, not too much. Alder Lake. We, if you've been p- paying attention to this channel, you've known Alder Lake is a thing for like a year now or something. So there's not much to add there. Uh, Tiger yeah. Lake H35, almost for, a year and a half. Right. So it's a four core that uses 35 watts on laptop, right? Yeah, it, it can boost all of its cores higher than the U models. So you might okay. get all yeah, yeah. core. I think, uh, correct, you know, maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But if I remember correctly, Tiger Lake H35 will boost all four cores over four gigahertz. Like they're really, these are the best yields to that can maybe clock all four cores close to five gigahertz momentarily. Yeah, that's what the uh, that, that's what their promotional slides show. Okay. So I, I, I don't know. That's fine. I'm still waiting for eight core Tiger Lake. I think that's all that. I think it could be I, very, very, very good because I think Tiger Lake should have a bit more IPC than Rocket Lake. And if they can get eight cores to clock, even remotely close, even for, if it's just boost clocks, all eight cores to like 3.5 or more gigahertz in a laptop, I think this could be the ultimate 
laptop gaming seat. You put this in a 3080 in there, and I mean, you might have a better gaming yeah. computer than a lot of most, almost all desktops. Yeah. So, eight core Tiger Lake still waiting for that. This is fine. Rocket Lake, I don't know. What have we been saying about Rocket Lake for like two months? It's the exact same thing. <laughs> like, right, it, it'll Zen, be better. It's Zen 3, except less efficient with a worse platform. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, less cores at the top end. Yeah, and still calling that 9.9 for some reason. So, no, I mean, I guess I did have a little bit to say, but mostly just, I don't know, go back to things I've previously said because there's not that much new. <laughs> the things me and you have already said for months about all the rumors that are all turning out to be correct. You know, again, we were the first one. The Cypress Cove, guys. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so I just recommend everyone go to my video, Intel Rocket, like preview analysis, only good pricing will make this a good product next to Zen 3. Because that that really is what I think. You know, what they showed is on average in the games they chose in 1080p, Rocket Lake being 4% better than Zen 3, and they compared it to the 5900X, not the 5800X, which costs less and probably games the same, nor the 5950X, that's technically AMD's best. And we also have leaks coming out now about Rocket Lake pricing that I sent to you, Dan, where Rocket Lake looks like it's going to cost as much as the previous gen. So they may, despite removing two cores, charge $500 or more for the top i9, which, as I say in the video, I think makes it a waste of your time. Like Once you charge more than the 5800X, even if it's 4% stronger, all right, well, you're charging 10% more. And as far as I've been told, and I believe their own marketing says, the platform will support one less PCIe 4.0 NVMe drive. So it's a worse platform, worse I.O. You know, if you use two of those NVMe drives, it's now at 3.0 speeds, apparently. And they're charging more, and it uses double the energy. So you need more expensive cooling. Yeah. I, I'm not impressed. Yeah, and that, uh, that i9 is the final nail in the coffin of the i bra uh, branding. Um, I nine. It, it looks nothing. so fucking. If you say stupid. you have a nine nine. You're like, oh, so you have a mid range AMD. <laughs> Pretty much at this point. Yeah, and I guess the only other thing I would say is the one savior of this lineup could could be what they price their top i five and i seven at, especially the i seven because the i seven will supposedly also have eight cores like the i nine. Again, i nine means absolutely nothing anymore. They just throw it on whatever they want, whenever they want, um, and. If they can price, hey, the top eight core i7 at like 350, I think it's good. But the pricing suggests it'll be closer to like 450. So, so what? The same price as a 5800X. And remember, it's worse yields. So it might be literally 5800X performance for 5800X pricing with double the power usage in a worse platform. This is no one should buy that then, especially yeah, it, months later. Like, who cares? Yeah. I mean, if the i7 were $350, okay. sure, it's a good. It, that, that's a good, uh, yeah, that's a good i7. I, I would say most people probably don't need two NVMe devices, so I'd be like, whatever, you know, as long as they can make yeah. the motherboard a little cheaper than AMD's equivalents, sure. Which I don't know, are, are there any inklings of what of that being true? Or <laughs> I mean, they should on be. the motherboard, right? So it already uses can use Z490 motherboards as long as they're high end ones. So mm -hmm. just look at those prices, but I don't think they're really much cheaper than X570. and Really, pricing's all over the place on all computer components right now, so it's hard to say. But I've seen X570 below $100 already sometimes. Not recently, but when prices <laughs> weren't insane. 
So yeah, I don't know. If the i7 is $350, there's there is a case for putting that in some PCs, but that that's the most I would have to say. Yep. And then of course Alder Lake, all I can say is I'm working on some new Intel and well, yeah, so some new Intel leak videos and a new Zen 4 one eventually. So you guys look forward to that. The only thing I have to add for my own insider information, I guess let's say about Alder Lake is they do not <clears throat> is that it's entirely on track. It it really could come out in quarter 3 and they're fast tracking as many parts of it as they can. Like they okay. really are going and this this is one of my best sources is getting back to me with um, and then I reached out to another one to confirm it that basically Intel's doing everything they can to make sure the motherboards are ready without any delays and that Alder Lake is still on track for quarter three, supposedly. So it might not slip to quarter four. And if that's true, based on what I know, desktop Zen 4 may not be till mid-2022. So that could be, you know, a while. majority of a year. Yeah. But there's also Zen 3 Plus to worry about. My understanding is it is Zen 3 Plus, not... Not like Matisse 2, not like an overclocked, not like the 3900 XT, remember? It's not like that, mm -hmm. where they just add 2% performance. I, I think it could be like a Zen Plus situation where AMD adds another 5 to 10%. And if it is 10%, if AMD were to add 10% more for performance to Zen 3, I think that would compete with Alder Lake fine. It would have less IPC, but more, more big cores, let's say. <laughs> I, well, yeah, more threads fine. too, right? It'd be 32, yeah. Yeah, it would be yeah, it would be more cores. So more threads and more big cores. So they'd still it'd basically be the same situation as like Zen 2 versus Coffee Lake. Yeah, probably. Somewhere around there. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's all I have to say is Alder Lake looks exciting. Oh yeah, I'm also working on Z leaks too. Very mixed bag when it comes to Z, guys. It's either gonna be great or maybe not launch. <laughs> um, so where we were at with uh Intel's graphics forever is which is a lot so, of people some, would point out somewhere between good and won't come out <laughs> yeah well it's the holiday season and you know what that means lots of travel for this holiday season and hopefully for a more open 2021 I bought a studio laptop for mobile editing and of course well, it didn't come with an open license of Microsoft Office, and those can be very expensive, especially for the professional version. But luckily, I was able to get Microsoft Office Professional for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description all right let us move on to story number five amd launches ryzen 5000 mobile zen 3 and saison for notebooks Quoting from Anantech, what we have here is a single piece of silicon that contains one group of eight Zen 3 cores 
that share a single 16 megabyte non-inclusive L3 cache. AMD's big marketing tool for the other Zen 3 families on the desktop is the size of the L3 cache effectively reduces main memory latency and helps gaming performance. And so with the new mobile processor, they've combined the two four-core complexes into a single eight-core complex, then doubled the amount of cache, enabling each processor to have access to all the cache on the CPU at the same time. AMD's top-tier mobile parts are all in the H-series. Traditionally, these processors are listed with a TDP of 45 watts. However, last year we saw AMD experimenting with the newer 35-watt category called HS, which I really like that too, where they tried to bring, bend the performance so that you could put effectively the top end in a thin laptop. Mm -hmm. But then continuing it, from Anantech. This year, AMD is again introducing a new level called HX for its overclocking models going above the standard H-series TDP. So the way I summarized it, right, is overall with Cezanne versus Renoir, AMD added 10% more die space for 25% more performance with 20 PCIe lanes. So yeah, this is definitely good for AM4 then, which I think we're already seeing rumors of that coming to AM4 officially too. Uh, better low voltage ma management for increased battery lives and newer high power models to dominate ultra high end gaming, which should worry Intel because they still have those 95 watt Comet Lake models that were as good, if not a percent better than Renoir while using, of course, double, triple, quadruple the energy. And I have a studio laptop with a Comet Lake laptop, which, yes, well, it's gaming. I think it's like a 45-watt model, which is performing slightly worse than an AMD's 35-watt model. Well, a little bit worse. But when you're not gaming, you you know, but when you're gaming, you probably plug it in, so who cares? Yeah. When you're not gaming... Intel's low voltage management is still really good, even on their 14 nanometer models. So AMD adding this, you know, 54 watt or whatever it is tier and 65 watt tiers is AMD directly trying to push Intel out of high-end gaming laptops before they launch Tiger Lake H. Not H35, Tiger Lake <laughs> H with eight cores. Um, yeah, so I mean, what? They're listing the HX as 45 plus. So does that mean that they can go over whatever power limit they want to with the HX. Yeah, this is like Intel's top-end ones that are where like they desktop power usage. Okay, so I don't know. They're now looking to dominate another sector that they haven't been in for a while. Um, I think Renoir was really good with what they released last year, and I don't know. This new performance tier makes sense for them to go for. Yeah, I, I really think... I really think that AMD has a chance here to just capture basically all high-end gaming, all uh, pr to capture a lot more laptop market share for as long as they can get Saison out and supply it before Tiger Lake H comes out. And even when Tiger Lake H, Tiger Lake H comes out, it's going to be like almost the same thing coming out later, you know. And then you know if you're a laptop manufacturer designing around AMD's. Uh, designs that whatever AMD has coming out after Tiger Lake H is probably going to be better too. So it's just yeah. really a race against time. And I guess the only other thing I have to add is remember Renoir, people were mad it didn't come to desktop. And I've long talked about how, well, they just didn't even have enough supply to launch it on the do-it-yourself market, first of all. Uh, second of all, they had, didn't have enough bandwidth in the PCIe lanes. Again, they had half the PCIe lanes uh, for the graphics card at half the bandwidth because it was 3.0 instead of 4.0. There's an argument to be made that should be OEM only. Yeah. You can't utilize X570 well enough. But people were mad because, you know, it was a monolithic design that overclocked pretty well and could probably game better 
than desktop Zen 2 in a lot of games. Um, and with Saison, I can see this. This is a tricky situation. I, I've seen a rumor where overclocked Saison on desktop may outperform the 5800X. So you start going, <laughs> what do you charge for this AMD? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, and, and I could see this just being a real headache for Intel and laptop. And a small one for AMD because they don't know what to charge for this on the desktop. Yeah, but it, it also does come to a, come down to if it gets released on desktop, like these, it's a matter of uh, if there's any uh, any stock for them to be able to put on desktop. Because it, it, if they can just sell everything to laptop manufacturers, that's probably what they're going to do. While like DIY PC people, we we talk a lot. We're we're generally the smallest community that is. Not the smallest, but we're a smaller community being served versus what else uh, they're selling to. Like, they're probably going to prioritize OEMs first over selling to uh, DIYers. You know, and another thing I want to point out about desktop Saison, which I do believe is coming to the do your do it yourself market, um, is that I'm seeing it called the 5700G. People keep going, oh, where's the 5700X? And first of all, AMD doesn't need to release one because they now control <laughs> the high-end <laughs> CPU market. But second of all, again, and this was an argument I made for Zen 2. Uh, this is an argument I made a while ago, no, for Zen 3, that I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't launch a 5700X. They don't need to. Just launch the 5700G and charge 350 for it. It probably games the same as a 5800X, but may have... Uh, we're still not sure of PCIe 4.0. I don't know if it has that. I don't think it does. So maybe you'll have enough mm. lanes, but you're sacrificing, you know, you would still Bandwidth. probably want 5800X if you're not using the integrated graphics. But it comes with that. So I could see them charging, you know, 350 for this and just no 5700x. Wait, how much is the 5800x? I'm just not 450. Four fi- yeah, so 350 is probably the price you would go for for the 5700G. Uh, it's a weird they can product. Probably do, they could probably do 400 if they really wanted to. Like, I mean, what, what are they? I mean, Intel's i7 is going to probably cost 450, so who cares? Yeah, I, it's more of a matter of I, what price will that that sell for because it's a little bit of a weird product because like are you going to get this integrated graphics uh apu when you're not going to use it like who who is this for aside from people that like overclocking a lot but yeah Dan H writes in and says, Hi, Tom. Just wondering if you have info on any Ryzen H series APU laptops that don't have a dedicated GPU. Is there not enough of the difference for an example? For example, the upcoming 5600U versus 5600H in performance to justify having it alone? Or is it simply companies wanting to make bigger margins by pairing it with a GPU? Well, so... Oh, I see what he's saying. So so instead of putting... a, Why don't they just remove the dedicated GPU and just put in, like, for example, a 45-watt Ryzen yeah. H by itself? Um... I mean, I think the answer is, it, it, well, first of all, remember their integrated graphics are significantly weaker than A2060. And now you can fit this class of GPU, which is to say lower mid-range gaming GPUs. You can fit them in 65 to 100 watt TDPs in thin laptops. And 
you know, so if you're going to put the highest performing CPU, might as well put the GPU with it. And again, I keep trying to explain this. I really believe that Renoir's design was with this mentality. Um, eight compute units isn't, <laughs> it could have definitely used 16 to be paired with an eight core processor for gaming. I mean, my God, the CPU is so much stronger. But at the same time, cores take up like not a lot of space. So you might as well mm-hmm. give it eight cores. And, and then if you look at the GPU portion of Renoir, it's like a fourth of the die, whereas previous APUs have been half, you know? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, the idea with Renoir is we put in integrated graphics, we make one model, and that's so the top-end models are paired with dedicated graphics cards, but you can use the integrated graphics when you're not gaming to save battery life. And additionally, we will cut down the cores and then let you use the integrated graphics, and now it's not overkill for the CPU. That's just been their design the whole time, and I think that's why they do that, right? And I think Van Gogh is supposed to be its on-its-own sort of thing. Although, it's still kind of up in the air if they're still going to launch Van Gogh, from what I'm hearing. And Van Gogh, that what, what, was that 20 compute units or something? Or I don't remember. I, I don't remember off the top of my head anymore. It was between 12 and 24, and I think it was okay. RDNA 2 compute cute compute units, but then also Zen 2 with less cash so the CPU takes up less space. That was supposed Mm -hmm. to be the more balanced design to compete directly with Tiger Lake. Um, But if you're AMD, you almost wonder if it's worth launching when Saison's probably good enough at everything. Yeah, and I I, I think the H and U versions make a lot of sense. Like U is for, you know, laptops without a graphics card in it. H, the power limit probably doesn't matter as much. Um, put it with a dedicated GPU. I don't really see the point of putting a 5600H in a laptop with no graphics card, though. That doesn't really well, make sense to me. Well, so here's what it comes down to. I mean, like maybe a 4800H would have made sense. I believe that, right? Because the 40, right, no, I'm thinking 4700, but I think that still had only seven compute units for its graphics, not eight, if I remember correctly. So it's still had a disabled compute unit. You know, you can make the argument that. Maybe they should try to make a model depending on how yields go. That is all eight compute units in an H model, but then six cores, 12 threads, right? Yeah. Like you can make that argument. And and someone could do that if they wanted to, but the market is dictated by what we buy. And I just think that once you buy the most expensive CPU and put it in a nice laptop, it's not that hard to put a GPU in there. Make no mistake, these GPUs add like $100, $200 to the overall cost. OEMs get way better prices than we're getting on Newegg. So (laughs) they might as well. I mean, and if you have two laptops next to each other, one's an extra couple hundred dollars and it has a 2060, I'm buying it over the one without one. Uh, obviously, yeah. And I have one, and I can game a lot of my games at 4K60, at the very least. No games can I not do 1440p60 with my 2060 laptop, and it's great. You know, and I, yeah, I don't know what nice. the market exactly is for, you know, like an overclocked APU by itself. I think it does make sense, but maybe, but not really with Renoir. It only has eight compute units. I think it makes sense if they would make a different one. It's just not out yet. Yeah, of course. If it if instead of having eight compute compute units, it had like sixteen or something, then it m- might make sense. Yeah, Willie Ram writes in and says, "Hey there, Tom. For a while now, you've been suggesting laptops as a viable alternative to do-it-yourself PC building. Do you foresee desktop replacement SKUs, i.e., seventeen-inch laptops with DisplayPort out, Ethernet, and sufficient cooling? I mean, yeah, I think these 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 just already exist. 
right? Yeah. That, yeah. So it, it, it's and, he, and Razor makes some that aren't too big. The problem is Razor is getting a ton of shit right now for still using Comet Lake in their top end with Ampere, which <laughs> this is the inflection point right here where AMD, before Tiger Lake H comes out, there's just no doubt that Saison is wildly the best gaming laptop CPU. And, you have, and Razor can't claim they make the best gaming laptops as long as they, you know, keep licking Intel's boot. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing they're getting real good prices on those CPUs right now, though. Yeah, I'm sure Intel does not want to lose that because they are they really are the flagship, thin and light, cool gaming laptop brand. But you have to remember they're a smaller company, too, so maybe they can't afford to switch to AMD as easily either. No, that's also true, yeah. They have a lot more on the line than HP, who's always tried to support AMD as well. You know, they're juggernauts. But that's the other thing I'd throw out there, guys. You don't need to buy Razer. I mean, HP makes some phenomenal laptops. Now, it's just at Best Buy. My God, some of their latest, even, just even Tiger Lake, and like they make some great laptops. And Dell is, makes good ones now, too. You know, Lenovo's always made decent budget ones. I haven't always liked Lenovo's designs lately. I like their designs in the early 2000s much more relative to the competitors versus now where they just look a little too gamey to me. But, but so, like I, the NV15 line from HP and the NV13 line, I think is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think a, I think HP probably has the best build quality among OEMs For at what this point. We like, and you've held them, and they like feel like better, as nice as Macs with really good specs. Yeah, really thin too, ten hour battery life. Like it's incredible. Yeah, and now they're uh, using vapor chamber cooling too. They said, and I've talked about this. My NV15 six core outperforms eight cores in the equivalent Dell because it cools so well. Because <laughs> they decided to use really elaborate cooling. Ah, that's pretty cool. I mean, how much does it add? 30 bucks? And now you can use a six core instead of an eight core and get the same performance? I mean, it's kind of becoming dumb not to do that. And vapor chambers aren't exactly new. So I and it's it like all copper and it's really an elaborate shape. Kind of similar to the PS5's cooling, actually. They kind yeah. of took the same approach of like, why don't we just go for it? Yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, those exist. You just got to look for them. And right now, I tend to recommend HP a lot. Although, look at everyone, because everyone's making pretty good stuff these days. Asus as well makes a lot of great stuff. You have an Asus laptop. Yeah. I've, almost, I've almost forgot to mention it. Asus makes a lot of great laptops now. I, I don't think there really is. I think all of the OEMs are, generally speaking, unless I'm forgetting about one, are in a pretty good spot right now, though. So yeah, pay attention to all of them if you're looking for a laptop. Newberry writes in and he says, hey, I just watched your video on HBM APUs. I agree with what you're saying. And further, I don't see HBM making a comeback at all in the consumer space. I used to be an HBM evangelist, but in my opinion, Infinity Cash was the death knell of HBM for consumer products. If the APU is big enough to acquire HBM, then it can just have more cash. Probably not always, but a lot of times, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, yes, maybe. I think in laptops, it's a different story, but eh. I think on graphics cards, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't quite understand how server HBM APU is supposed to trickle down to consumer products, though. When I think of servers, I think of lots of CPU cores, GPUs, and RAM. So something like KB like G doesn't fit that environment, does it? What would these APUs look like, and what would you use them for? Thanks for your hard work, as always. The channel has been very active and very interesting this year. I'm happy with what I'm getting as a patron. He's probably writing that because he knows I've been asking so much in the first month what the <laughs> patrons want this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to HBM, 
It, and its prices are coming down. This is something I talked about heavily before Ampere's launch, how a lot of people were confused why NVIDIA didn't go with HBM for their top die because although GDR6 is a lot cheaper, it starts to get to the point, though, where if the die and the board is that expensive, you might as well just add $50 for significantly better power usage and bandwidth with HBM. And an APUs on a laptop, that, that's really where it makes sense because HBM takes up so much less space. It just does. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is they keep trying to, sh- they keep having trouble accepting that it's not going to double, like double performance. Like KB like G's problem was they tried to make it like a 100 watt thing when really it just should have had lower clocks and not throttled so much, right? And it should have better cooling. And yeah. they didn't do that. And Apple is doing that with their version of the 5700 XT that has HBM on it. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. You got to take it seriously. I kind of forgot that that thing existed. But anyways, I think, so if I look at your question, what does an APU with HBM look like? I mean, I think it looks like the ultimate min-maxing of efficiency, thinness, and performance, but you have to pay extra for the highest-end laptops. This would be ideal for the Razer Blade Stealth since they charge frickin' two grand for it. But it's, they've managed to cram a 1650 Ti and Tiger Lake in there. So... Yeah, I, I mean, or a new class of ultra-thin laptops that also perform well. That don't perform as well as the best. Perform close and Mid- cost... You pay more for the ultimate efficiency and gaming-level performance. Yeah, but it's probably like, what, mid-to-entry-level gaming? Yeah, but again, Apple. You know, yeah, that Apple. That type of yeah. stuff. <laughs> or, it, honestly, uh, this is starting to become a standard. What was it? Uh, Asus makes like a Vivo book? I know, not Vivo. I don't know. I Asus. That's something. That v, I don't know. Asus, it might be Vivo book. I don't remember. Asus makes this exact thing where they had like a $4,000 laptop. But this was like four years ago. They managed to shove like a 1050 Ti and like a, an ultra thin, like 14 inch or something. Which now is pretty standard, actually, it turns out. But it wasn't back then. Or, or like what a, you know, HP is doing, where they're, they were like one of the first people to put an MX150 in a 13-inch ultra-thin laptop smaller than a MacBook Air. And I was just blown away that they even fit any graphics card in there. And it was incredible performance for its class at the time. Now, though, it's not enough, especially because the MX series has just not been updated properly. So... yeah. So that's, you know, that, but that's what this should be going into, like something like the NV13, like an ultra premium version of it, which I guess they would just call it their Spectre lineup. They'd probably save it for that. Yeah. And I, like you say, this is just a, a class of GP, I mean, not GPU, class of laptop that didn't really seem to exist until, uh, what, yeah, the MX150 kind of, right? Four years ago. Yes. Yeah. When you saw Asus experimenting with it in the 14 inch space and HP experimenting with it in the 12 and 13 inch space. Which, yeah, it's a really cool, it, I think it's the most interesting type of laptop out there. Yeah. Or at the very least, and this is something Razer's been experimenting with for the past like five or six years, is shoving desktop replacement performance in 15 and 17 inch thin factors. Yeah. As opposed to like what, didn't they used to like go do some insane stuff like twenty inches laptops or something I think like my, that? My my engineering laptop in college was a, I think it was a nineteen and a half inch. Yeah, that's that's just it wasn't massive. Actually, it actually wasn't that thick, but it was just a beast in width. 
<laughs> and it melted I remember. itself. Hey, not as good cooling. They didn't use the vapor chamber stuff. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I've, it seemed like they were just cooling it by taping the processor to the plastic chassis because just straight <laughs> up warped the top plastic and there were burn marks on it. So, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Laptops are a lot better, guys. That's another reason why I can recommend them if they're similar price to performance to desktop because it's not like before where you're just going to burn yourself. Usually, sometimes, read reviews though. Every now and then, they still screw up. Yeah. Laptops don't suck now though. And story number six, AMD talks Zen 4 and RDNA 3 promises to offer extremely competitive products. In an Anantech interview with Dr. Lisa Su and the street interview with Rick Bergman, the EVP of AMD's computing and graphics business, we have gathered information about AMD's plans for Zen 4 core development and RNA performance targets. So this is technically being kind of compiled by Tech Power Up's article. It was starting with Zen 4. AMD plans to migrate to the AM5 platform, bringing new DDR5 and USB 4.0 protocols. The current aim of Zen 4 is, of course, to be extremely competitive among competing products and to bring high IPC improvements. When it comes to RDNA 3, the company has plans to offer an architecture that has a high performance per watt, just like they did with performance per watt with RDNA 2 over RDNA 1. It plans to do with RDNA 3. They will also bring very high performance increases as well, but they seem to be emphasizing performance per watt more with RDNA 3 than they did with RDNA 2. And they emphasize it a lot with RDNA 2, yeah. by the way, guys. <laughs> so I have that there, but I also found an interview with Bergman from November that I thought I had to include. And it's in reference to using a new node for RDNA 3. He says, nothing to disclose at this time. GPUs are increasingly complex, and yes, they're very logic-based, so they do take advantage of the advanced process nodes, but CPUs also love them for the reasons we were just talking about, for IPC and frequency gains. See, I, th I find that interesting because there Bergman's directly suggesting that Zen 4 and Radeon are competing for the same node shrink capacity, right? Yeah. And it sounds to me like he's saying Zen 4 probably gets priority over RDNA 3. Yeah. Um that <laughs> that's definitely interesting, but like you know, like we've been saying, TSMC is the real winner here uh, when it comes to everything given that everyone has to compete and AMD even has to compete with itself for <laughs> for manufacturing space and I it, yeah, I think Zen 4 makes more sense that they would that would get priority first. Well, that comes out mid-2022, though. So True. I do almost wonder, though, what they'll do. if Because again, it's like, I have to say, they should probably... I mean, they, they bought up wafers ahead of time. I did a whole video about yeah. how they clearly are planning to manufacture a significant amount of products on 5 nanometer by the end of this year. So if Zen 4 is coming mid-2022, I would say some RDNA 3, or at least some cDNA 1 and 2 or something products, which I think is what I suggested, is that cDNA 2 is probably coming way sooner than people think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and of course, I assume they'll put some APUs on 5 nanometer as soon as possible as well. Uh, so, I, I, but I think that's very interesting. And so, I don't know. I mean, out of all of this, I'll, the only other thing I have to add is like, from what I'm reading here, and again, hearing behind the scenes, Zen 4 will be as big of a deal as Zen 2, if not bigger. I think we could see Zen 4 bring Zen 3 IPC increases and 
also increased cores like Zen 2 did. I think Zen 4 could be a bigger deal than Zen 2 or Zen 3. Like, I think Zen 4 is like finally moving to the next chapter of a major upgrade. And then I think RDNA 3 is exactly, is going to be exactly what I expect. Probably not, <laughs> not doubling performance like RDNA 2 did, but I think we'll see another 50% performance per watt increase and at least another 30 to 40% performance increase at the very end of this year. I, I think it has to be said that there's all, almost no chance of like the doubling. I mean, you have to take into account they literally didn't release the they they only released the mid-range dies. There was no big RDNA one. They never released it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, may I don't know, maybe 30%. Hopefully that would be good. Um and yeah, for Zen 4, I guess they emphasize high performance per watt. I guess for some reason I read that as lowering of TDPs, but maybe that's wrong. Um, well, if they increase performance per watt by at least 50% or more, which I've heard it could be 60% again, just like I think RDA2 actually ended up being more like 60% or something. You know, I think that if they only increase performance by 40%, then that would be lowering of TDPs. That would yeah. probably mean slight decreases. And and again, remember that, well, actually, the, that the 6900 XT was never going to come out. And that's, you, know, you could see their 6900 XT replacement being, I still think they're going to keep that at 300 watts, and I think they should. I think there's no reason for them to not have some top model that just pushes itself as hard as possible, you know, as high as clocks as you can get at 300 watts. 300 watts is fine. It's mm-hmm. just when you go over 300 watts, again, think about, you know, not like Vega Liquid or the, or Fermi or Ampere. When you go over 300 watts, that's when you have a runaway effect of being exponentially harder to cool and being far more expensive board costs. So I just think aim for 300, but then maybe we'll see like the, what do I want to say then? 7,800 XT be like 225 watts, and then they can save some money on board costs, especially yeah. for the cut-down models. It's worth mentioning this should also be a multi-chip design, though, too, from what I've been told. At least having an IO die separated from the main graphics chiplet. Oh, yeah, I forgot. There's still constant discussions of when that's going to come to AMD, I mean, to Radeon. RDNA 3, Yeah, that's one. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> so, and then I guess the only other big thing, which we've already already pretty much know this, and I think the, everyone's been asking for this, is AM5. But So now we know, yeah. Zen 4 is AM5. I mean, we knew. We knew the whole time. AM4 but, is uh, too uh, old, and they probably... It, 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 I think it's already arguably lasted for too long. But yeah, a, a, a Zen 4 needs to be on AM5. The only question I have about AM5 is if AMD will really bring some version of Zen 3 Plus to AM5. Oh, yeah, that's that question, That's what I wonder. And so they can launch a new platform, you know, like on AM5 with DDR, like basically just a Zen 3 with a little bit higher IPC and and DDR5 support. If they can bring that to AM5 at the same time Alder Lake launches to effectively combat it, that's really my only question. Um, I... And I mean, if Alder Lake and uh, Rocket Lake both release between Zen three and Zen four, I think they kind of. I think a Zen three plus is sense. kind of necessary. Yeah, like Zen four is a big undertaking here. I mean, it's going to be kind of like Zen two that came out two years after Zen one, and Zen plus was the stopgap. I, I do think yeah. they need a Zen three plus as a. 
they probably don't need it, I guess I should say, but it would behoove them to have it. <laughs> yes, and I guess that's also assuming Alder Lake makes good on its promises for, I don't know, actually being an interesting new <laughs> architecture by Intel. Any other things to really add about RDNA 3 or Zen 4? I mean, really the biggest takeaways are them openly talking about RDNA 3 being, you know, like an RDNA 2 efficiency increase, Zen 4 coming with USB 4, DDR5 to AM5. Everything else, I mean, even those things we were already telling people about, but now that they're openly talking about it, I think that's really the story. Yeah, I mean, there's no uh, big, there's no big, like, unveiling of what it is other than we know it's going to support DDR5. That's really it. Story number seven, then. TSMC to kick off mass production of Intel CPUs in second half of 2021 as Intel shifts its CPU manufacturing strategies, according to TrendForce. And I quote, Intel has outsourced the production of about 15 to 20% of its non-CPU chips, with most of the wafer starts for these products assigned to TSMC and USMC, according to TrendForce's latest investigations. But the company is planning to kick off mass production of Core i3 CPUs at TSMC's 5 nanometer in second half of 2021. Intel's mid-range and high-end CPUs are projected to enter mass production using TSMC's 3 nanometer node in the second half of 2022. And I also added another article that by the end of 2021, Intel wants to be pretty much all 10 nanometer. Uh, pretty big, <laughs> pretty big story, I guess. I, I don't know what to add to Not it. Not a lot of people talking about it for how big it is. I think people expected this, though. Maybe that's why. I mean, what uh, I think you brought that up to me. Part of the title of the last podcast was Intel going fabulous, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I've had, yeah, yeah, and I mean, let me say one more thing about this too. A thing that I wonder if people will realize is I was the only person, as far as I'm aware, that wasn't taking a dump on 10 nanometer for the past year. I was the one saying, no, 10 nanometer is a real node by the end of 2020. Intel will be making a lot of their high-end products on 10 nanometer as the main high-performance node in the end of 2021. I am right, you guys. (laughs) I have to say it. Tom was right. Now, everyone said Intel wouldn't use 10 nanometer ever. They are wrong. 10 nanometer is a real node. Yes, it's four years late, but it's a real node. Maybe five years late. But, but yeah, late. I just want to <laughs> throw that out there because there are a lot of people that gave me shit for saying that. A lot of other tech tubers saying 10 nanometer would never be a real node. Here, Intel is confirming they it is their main node by the end of this year. Exactly when I said it would be their main node. So, I, I mean, I guess the only other thing to add, though, is... This doesn't, I don't think this uh, shows confidence in their ability to get to seven nanometer anytime soon. Given that what so high end products are going to be uh, from Intel are going to be on TSMC three nanometer, right? Right. What it again, like you can see right here what they're doing. So by the end of this year, they want to have repurposed much of their facilities to be 10 nanometer production Mm -hmm. for their high end Alder Lake products, their Tiger Lake laptop products. I mean, Meteor, at least part of Meteor Lake. Actually, that one might be on TSMC is probably what they're talking about here. Um, and so 10 nanometer this year, but that's for high end. And yeah. they're probably going to keep making their low end on 14 nanometer. Rocket Lakes, i3s, all of that stuff. And then they're going to transition the i3s first because they'll still have been probably using 14 nanometer. They'll transition those 
to 5 nanometer on TSMC. So they're dual sourcing, and then they'll transition from 10 nanometer to 3 nanometer last because their 10 nanometer is significantly better than their 14 nanometer by now. Oh, okay. Uh, that all makes sense. It wasn't sense. last year. Guys, no one's saying Intel's 10 nanometer was good two years ago, but I am saying it's a real node now. And you can yeah, see the Tiger Lake clocks to like 5 gigahertz. Come on. Yeah, it's going to... There's going to be eight cores on it some at some point uh, as well. There's going to be 16 cores with Alder Lake. Yeah, I'm just saying, I should say in the near future, there's going to be eight cores. And by the end of the year, there's probably going to be 16 cores. So yeah, it's real. Right. And Sapphire Rapids, um, which also uses Golden Cove, as we know now, although that was kind of up in the air for the while. I think that uses uh, 10 nanometer. Actually, I don't actually remember. No, I believe that will use 10 nanometer then. And that one looks really impressive as well. And that should go up to 56 cores. No. Huh? Like it, it took you. It took them four years, but they got there. <laughs> yeah. Then, and I guess the last thing I have to say is this: like you brought up their seven nanometer node. Then you know I tweeted this. I tweeted, "Sounds like Intel's seven nanometer product plans are going really well." <laughs> <laughs> under the headline of them switching to TSMC, but I don't. I do think it is too premature to say Intel 7 nanometer won't be ready by... And again, I'm, I'm honestly losing track at this point because I mix up what they're saying publicly with what I'm being told, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think it may be premature to say Intel will not have 7 nanometer in full production in 2023 and some products in late 2022. I'm not saying they won't do that. I, I, I'm sorry, I wouldn't interpret this to mean that's impossible. What I would interpret this to mean is Intel knows they can't have this 10 nanometer fuck up again. They yeah. can't have another situation where they're held hostage by only using 10 nanometer till 2025. They know, and you have to buy capacity ahead of time. So the way I interpret this is Intel is hedging their bets. They're planning to produce 20% of their products, which if you think about it, their top end products and some of their lower and some of their I3s in case they have to. That's what they're planning to do by buying up this capacity now. Because they have to. Because they have to plan ahead in case their 7 nanometer doesn't go off, doesn't get to us by the end of 2022. But it might not. Well, you know? it, yeah. And, and this definitely tells you they're not sure it will. Yeah, and it, there's a good chance that all this shows is there might be like part, part of a couple generations or one generation of their products on PSMC, like 5 or 3 nanometer. Other than that, though, who knows? Maybe, maybe they continue with TSMC if 7 nanometer doesn't work out, but that doesn't mean it won't work out. Exactly. That does not mean it won't work out, but it does mean they're not sure it will, mm-hmm. and they know they cannot leave themselves as exposed as they have been. Yeah. I don't know. Is there anything... Again, I guess, yeah, I guess I've said all I have to say. I mean, 10 nanometers real, uh, but AMD will be on 5 nanometer... By the end of this year, when 10 nanometers, their main node, so it's not good. <laughs> it's still not, again, it's still not good, though. Yeah. I just think people have been underestimating Intel so much, but that doesn't mean it's good. It just means you're underestimating them. They're still down here, though. Yeah, their competitor has just been doing real well for the past uh, couple of years. So at some point, Intel will probably swing back. But I don't know. There, there is the chance they don't, I guess. Again, I wouldn't expect a full-throated swing back until like 2023. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, we're going to have to see. I think, I, but I do think there's some hope that Alder Lake is decent. And from what I'm hearing, it's on track. And it could be pretty good. 
All right, so that is the last of the main stories. And this is something I've been changing for the format of the podcast for 2021 is instead of insisting on doing up to 12 stories, like what I'll do is the ones I think we have to do, which were those ones. And then also other things get decent mentions. You know, so so number eight, we'll call this section of the podcast the wrap up. And I think the first thing I'll mention here before I ask you if there's anything you specifically want to talk about, Dan, is we do have to mention that Intel has a new CEO, though. Yeah, I, there we do. There, there's not too much I can say. He's a, an industry veteran. I don't know very much about, though. Yeah, I mean, like. I really had a mixed bag when it comes to Bob Swan, the current CEO that just left um, from sources. Most sources thought he wasn't the right man for the job long-term. That was basically unanimous. Some people said he's getting too much hate as someone needs to be there to do the job no one else wants to do. Mm -hmm. Almost like the Theresa May after Brexit, except Bob Swan is the Theresa May of (laughs) Intel after they fall behind AMD. But he really wasn't a technical person. I, I do take uh, umbrage with people constantly calling him a bean counter because that's like, well, some people have to count the beans and some people should be good at it. Yeah. It does annoy me when people just say bean counter. But but it, but it's true that you, he wasn't like a visionary like Lisa Sue. And so this wasn't going to last forever. And that's just how I take this. I don't take this as him being forcibly fired in a hostile way. I just take it as, he was never going to be there for that long. He was an interim CEO, and now it's time for him to go. And it, yeah. right now is probably when he should. He got things in order a little bit. He stopped the company from completely falling apart when things were very bad in the past few years. But now it's time for a new visionary. Yeah. Um, and so what is this? Pat Gels- Gelsinger. Gelsinger. <laughs> yeah. So congratulations to Pat Gelsinger, I guess. I, I, Do you have anything else to add to this? No. The only thing other only other thing I will add is a lot of people don't know this, but Roger Kadori was gunning to be CEO, and I confirmed that in several leaks. And yeah, uh, yeah. this means he <laughs> lost that fight, guys. When I say gunning, I have nothing to change. The updates I got were he was really fighting to get this even until the past few weeks. So I think he's in hot water right now, based on what I'm hearing. Pro- based on what I I think stuff you've told me, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. And then I don't know. So so this is the wrap up. These are other stories that I don't think need a main story, but are worth mentioning. Like, is there anything here that stands out to you before I just kind of fly through them quick? Ah, you have the 160 hertz 4K monitor. Uh-huh. Yes. Seems LG, good. Unva- LG unveiled a nano IPS, so still not a OLED, but... Nonetheless, 4K 160 hertz gaming monitor with HDMI 2.1 display, HDR 600. Um, we don't know the price for it yet, I don't think. But oh no, wait, I think it's 700 or something, isn't it? The last gen was 800. Okay, so I would expect this to be about a thousand. This is significantly better than the 4K monitors that were 2,000 a year and a half ago. Yeah, so I, I just specifically call that one out because I don't know we're a tech hardware podcast. Pointing people to a good new monitor might be <laughs> might be a good thing to call out. Well, and and you know, I might be reviewing the Eve Spectrum soon. You know, we'll see how that goes. So again, mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of like, you know, I did the concept D. Eventually I just needed a new monitor for the channel because I'm up I am putting out videos in higher resolutions now. And when I saw the concept D for like eight to nine hundred, I'm like, okay, 
you know, color, you know, factory calibrated, accurate colors, 4K 120, not great HDR, but it is noticeable between non-HDR, I think. I do notice it. Mm -hmm. So it has that, and it was like 800 bucks, and now similar things getting close to 650. This is where it's getting to the point where I'm like, yeah, 4K 120 is starting to get around 600 and less. That's when I really do recommend it. And seeing 4K 160 coming soon, not that you have a, not that you'll be able to run that in every game, but I mean, how many people play, you know, Fortnite yeah. or Counter Strike or all of these other games where no, you can run it 4K 160 for it's, sure, it, and that's going to be increasingly more common as I think. I, I think we're relatively close to 4K being saturated, like, uh, like maybe. One or two gens from now are there. And so then it'll 4K be easy 60. to push out the high frames. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, think of like maybe right now, but this monitor isn't out yet. This launches yep. this year and then RDNA 3 and probably some kind of an RTX 4000 series will launch at the end of this year. So that's when, you know, you get this. Yeah. And again, Dan, you've had, you had an early 4K monitor that you're still using to this day for six years, seven years. So I guess we're actually close to seven years now. I got it in 2014. And you paid $600, but you paid $600 seven years ago. You have a 4K60 monitor. It's getting old. You're looking to get a new one this year. So you are paying attention to stories like these. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, you get a 4K160 monitor with HDR support. That thing's going to last you a while. I do recommend, though, again, here's how I put it. If it's under 1,000, okay, that's what I said about the Concept D. This is okay for 800. The second you're like 1500 or more, no. OLED. Yeah. Like, get out of here. Get Find a way to fit a, the new OLED LG TVs on a desk or something because it looks... <laughs> and, I, and I forgot to mention that in, pre, in a recent podcast that um, I've been messing around with kind of benchmarking the PS5 for fun and my, gra and my desktop against it. And then also looking at games that are like kind of checkerboarded to 4K and native 4K. And, um, I mean, oh, well, that what I'm saying is I need to use my monitor that's not OLED for the benchmarking because it has built-in things that can measure the PS5's performance. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you OLED looks better, though. <laughs> like, so much better. It, it, my Demon panel looks obviously better than yours, but you saw me playing Demon Souls on my 4K OLED mo uh, TV, and you were like, well, go on. Yeah, Demon Souls looks really good on your TV. <laughs> I don't know what like else the to HDR say to that. It's insane. It looks insane. Yeah. It, it looks really good. And I, I want, I, whatever I get, I do want to monitor with some type of HDR support. And, you know, even playing older games, even if it's on a console, like I noticed, like playing some of these games that, like, they look obviously better, even if, you know, even if you can't run at full 4K, it looks yeah. way better. Again, as I've, as I've communicated, 1440p on an OLED screen looks better than 4K on a TN. On well, on a, on an LCD, any version of LCD panel, it doesn't matter. QLED, call it whatever you want. It does not look remotely as good to me. And that there is, I notice extra aliasing in some games when I removed it from my OLED TV that I never saw on the OLED TV. So I'm telling you, there's something about OLED, at least LG's ones, where you don't have as much of the kind of mismatching of pixels when you're playing at a lower resolution. Maybe not exactly the same effect as CRT, but it's close. It's close. You don't notice the lower resolution jagginess 
that you might if you're playing on a non-native resolution on a 4K LCD screen? OLED is, if you can afford it, obviously the best uh, quality on the market right now, I would say. All right, so let me look at these. So that was the one that stuck out to you. But of all the other things being mentioned, I just think I should mention them in passing. So three nanometer, looks like it's going to be a full-throated real node in 2022, um, according to DigiTimes from TSMC. Like, it's on track, guys. Mm -hmm. So when Intel's building theirs, then it's like, no, they might actually be building them. So I'm just pointing that out to everyone that, for now, TSMC's full steam ahead. Um, Windows 10's getting a giant overhaul. I don't know. I almost uh, thought about doing a die shrink talking about what's going on, but I'm worried. I mean, I've been talking to NX Gamer and other people looking at, and people who can see, some people who can like actually see the complaint rates for Windows. Like Windows is very buggy right now. So this uh, worries me, actually. I'm not excited. Uh, I, I'm sure it'll fuck something up somehow. I guess... Uh, You're worried it's another Windows 8 situation. Yeah, I... I, I was looking at it. I guess I didn't realize. Like Windows 10 is getting pretty old, so I'm guessing they are look, starting to think about upgrading it at this point. To, I don't know what they would call it, but um, I don't know. I it, it makes me nervous that they're going to screw something up further with the OS, though. The only thing they need to do is stop with this bizarre situation where I used to be able to easily find something in a Windows 7 looking menu and then it's just not there anymore and I have to find some way of digging through the Windows 10 menu to still get to that same Windows 7 menu. Yeah, that's incredibly Like annoying. the sound control is the one everyone brings it, up. It, it annoys me so much that like they changed it, that they um, like hide settings that were easily accessible on Windows 7 uh, behind advanced settings and shit. It, it, this isn't advanced. I want to turn a dial. This isn't advanced settings. Just let me let me modify stuff. You, I, I don't get what they're doing. Stop making me click more buttons, Microsoft. And there was also the launch of the GT 1010, a cut down, basically GT 1030. I, I don't know. I just thought I'd mention yeah, I, that. I think you more wanted to include it because you just kind of think this thing's existence is funny. It is kind of funny. I don't, I don't know. It's just like now, now you're launching it. See, again, if you launched this three years ago, okay, even during Turing, but now it's like people are, people are going to be buying this in droves, Tom. They're probably just using leftover MX150 stock or 130 stock, probably. Oh, yeah, they might be. Also, Nintendo laughed Xbox out of the room, apparently, at one point when Xbox tried to buy Nintendo. They held a meeting in Xbox, and then apparently Nintendo said, oh, you're actually trying to buy us. And they're just like, fuck no. <laughs> they said they effectively couldn't keep a straight face for one hour while Microsoft did a proposal. Jesus. I mean, Nintendo's, I don't know. Nintendo's had pretty variable success. So I can see why they thought. I don't know when they, when exactly they tried to buy my uh, Nintendo. But... They're their own thing, and I think Says, Nintendo's always going to be 2001? there. 2001, is this what this is saying? Yeah, this, so this was decades ago. Yeah. The 2001. Uh, the exact year. Microsoft, yeah, around there. The 2001, Microsoft is just getting into gaming. That would have been a huge acquisition for them. Yeah, I, I think this was an important one to point out, though, just because it is an interesting story, and also just because of how many times I've heard people say, watch out, Sony ponies, and I don't know, what do you call Nintendo fanboys? 
Nintendo. I don't. I, I don't. Probably Nintendo dipshit because that's the only. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I'm not saying it. I just all of these fanboys that argue online have dumb names for each other. But I, one thing I've seen from Microsoft fanboys is, or should I say, Xbox fanboys? But I was like, watch out! Xbox has a war chest from Microsoft. They'll just buy Nintendo or Sony. No, they won't. My fa- okay. My, no, they won't. My favorite version of that argument that I saw in forums years ago was Nintendo when people were... T- there was this talk uh, during the Wii U that like, what if Nintendo goes out of business or stuff like that? And then there, people were like, they could lose a million dollars a year, a, a day for 80 years mm-hmm. and they would still be in business. That's not how investing works, but okay. <laughs> yeah, and their stock price would crumble because people don't invest in companies to lose money over 80 years. This is how capitalism works. So if your company is not growing or at least making money and paying out dividends every year, you're going to yeah. lose support. So this idea that like any of these companies can just have losses for years is bullshit. Like Sony did and it was bad and they yeah. don't ever want to do that again with the PS3. It is bad. They yeah, don't want to the- do that again. During the PS3, there was legitimate t- discussions like, oh, Sony could go out of business. Right. Like, it was they very really bad. screwed things up because they had that mentality of, oh, we can just afford to do everything. And it's like, you can, but also like, you're going to lose the end of that support. journey. You lose though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess that was important to point out like this idea that these companies, you know, like, I, like the price to buy Nintendo or Sony would just be, um, I mean, they had to pay double to Star Wars just to get Bethesda. Can you imagine? how much they would charge, like tr- like a trillion dollar acquisition, even though that's not the right price. That's like, that's what they would want. Because that's basically what Bethesda got. They got double the price of the IP of Star Wars, which is hilarious. Well, frankly, their games have been on the downtrend in popularity. Like, that's like, so they paid probably quadruple what they're worth because they had to, to get something for Games Pass. Like that's, you'd have to pay like quadruple what Sony's worth probably too. Yeah, I, I mean, but and then the investors would be like, "Sure, make me a one hundred billionaire. I'll take your deal. I don't <laughs> care." Yeah, I mean, Bethesda's their uh, their published games tend to be pretty good, but Bethesda Studio games are they're 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 taking a downturn. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. All right, so and then we have Cyberpunk behind the scenes. So this was from Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. I've he gets half. He's a good reporter, but half of his crap is crap. I think. I don't know. You wanted to talk about this potentially. Do you have anything to add about this Jason Schreier story from Bloomberg? And me and you have had problems with Bloomberg a lot too. Yeah, so. it, it's a double red flag that I I just brought it up to you. I wasn't sure how much we should talk about it because I think we've uh, talked about cyberpunk enough. Cyberpunk enough. Yeah. But it, yeah, just there were developers uh that jason schreier talked to that said they in 2019 they thought the game might be ready by 2022 um there then there was uh the ceo put out that statement this week that was like we didn't see any of the bugs in their testing and just that was a that's a bs apology and he knows that's it. that's not true of course they saw the bug <laughs> well then you're very bad at your then job you're, like, th- that's then, worse yeah. than then we should probably have a new CEO. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like that's a horrible dis- excuse. Um, I guess, the, yeah, I guess the only thing to add about this is, and I think it's something that's been hinted and not enough people are saying it out loud. It's like, why would Cyberpunk, 
I'm sorry, why would CD Projekt lie so egregiously to people to the point that they're now going to get sued? Because they knew this was probably coming. I mean, they yeah. guys, they played the game. They knew it didn't work. I, I think the answer is they were out of money. That uh, that is that has to be what happened. That that's my guess. I I, I would say that's my, what I. Uh, it it has to be that right. There there's no other explanation. For that makes sense. Like just release it at the end of 2021 or 2022 and make it a PS5, Xbox Series X, and PC only game. Or again, launch it on PC next year, fully featured. I want to point this out to a lot of people. Like from what I've seen of Cyberpunk, and I played it a little bit. Like there are entire missions that go nowhere and plot lines that aren't there. Didn't you say? And, and I think I've read that the entire like metro underground is just walled off. Yeah, yeah, I think you told me that. Yeah, so there's just features of the game that they quickly. There's entire sections of the city that have NPCs and stuff in them, and then they walled it off last minute. Like the game wasn't done. The game yeah. was supposed to come out in 2021 or 2022. And instead, they launched it in 2020, half finished, even on PC. It's half finished, clearly. Like, I mean, the AI's dumb. Like, you can't. Like, so, uh, to me, this, I think they ran out of money and they just had to launch it now. And they insisted on putting it on PS4 and Xbox One because they knew that's where half the sales, if not most, would be. That's where the majority, well, I guess I don't know how many PC players are. I have are, no idea. But that's, if not the majority, probably the plurality of players are on PS4 and Xbox One. Well, when you combine them, I have to assume it's the majority. Yeah. yeah. Or I should say last gen console. But yeah, I don't want to dwell on that. Just throwing that out there that I, I really think that without having sources, my, me reading between the lines is Cyberpunk is released in this state because if they didn't, they would have went out of business, which they should have just done rounds of funding like I know some companies have done recently. But yeah, um, I don't know. And also the final of the news roundup, new tariffs raising prices for graphics cards. I don't know if you have anything explicitly to say. I thought we had to mention that prices are going to just straight up be increased, not just from demand, but because of these funnel tariffs. And I'm just going to preempt because I think it's technically an exemption on tariffs ended. So just to stave off that future correction Mm. immediately. (laughs) Um, I I, I don't have anything to say aside from hopefully this doesn't mean GPUs go up by $80 or something. Yeah, the the only thing I can, or and that it doesn't last that long, you know, yeah. hopefully this can be reversed soon with new leadership. But what I would say is, one thing to point out is, again, I'm not, I know that specifically hearing Sony have lawyers that were fighting tooth and nail to keep the exemption for consoles. So it would be interesting if graphics cards just went up in price again and the consoles stayed the same price just because of, it's Wouldn't it be good? <laughs> Which is, again, it's like, guys, I, this is a gaming hardware podcast. Uh, mo- for the past 10 years, I'd say 80% of my gaming has been on PC. But if things get too dumb, I'm not going to be the guy that does mental backflips through flaming hula hoops to try to explain why it still makes sense to pay four times as much for a PC that's the same performance as a console if that's where this ends up going. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you maybe buy the console because they support keyboard and mouse now anyways, as far as I can see. Yeah, and it's like, I'm always going to have a gaming PC, but I I don't know. I don't know how long. For sure, but maybe I shouldn't upgrade it right now or for a while until things stop being so dumb because prices will keep going up if people just say, okay, we'll pay twice as much for worse performance. Yeah. (laughs) 
But yeah, so it's not a fun thing to talk about, but yeah. Yeah. All right, let us get to the final reader mails then. I actually don't think I'm going to read all of Avenger 22's message here because it does get quite a bit political here talking about the tariffs and who we should be blaming for the tariffs. All I'm going to say is uh, I'm not happy about what led to these tariffs either, Avenger. And it's yeah, it's pretty disgusting decision-making by some people. And hopefully this changes and... But you know there there are some real problems going on with uh, the whole with with trade and with how China's. I mean, look how China's just buying up. Like I, I saw in a recent Disney movie, apparently in the background, one of the maps showed China controlling more of the South China Sea than they actually do. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Like, so as much as I I could blame non-Chinese governments for these tariffs right now, there are things that led to some people doing that. China's control on gaming and with what's going on in trade is there are problems. I, I, I'm concerned. A complex discussion. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that would be for a die shrink or some other podcast in the future. I don't. I don't want to get too depressing <laughs> on broken <laughs> silicon or political. I, I know a lot of people listen to this and not have to hear about that shit. But we will talk about it when we have to, which we had to mention the tariffs because how can you not? It's a problem that affects us. I mean, um, yeah. 20, but possible 25% increase on, on some products that we're talking about. So you have to bring it up. Yeah. So JX20 writes in and says, Tom, do the new tariffs on GPUs from China change what you have said about pricing and availability? Does this come as a surprise to you? I understand why you are tired of talking about availability, but this is worrying to me. Yeah, I know. And it should be. And he goes on, as a related but somewhat separate question, how reliant on China are NVIDIA, AMD, and Intel? Well, Taiwan, despite what China thinks, is not part of China. (laughs) (laughs) They have their own goddamn passports. so it's it's not that simple, but there's so many things that come out of China that go into your final products. And like the PS5 is manufactured there. So even if the silicon is manufactured in Taiwan, yeah. which are, are all or of New TS- York, are, or, yeah, are, yeah, are all of TSMC's fabs in Taiwan? No, they there have to be international, but well, there's global foundries in Samsung and Korea and other places as well, but. Yeah. And now the TSMC is opening one in Arizona, you know, so let's not get into that. But yeah, so regardless, even if these com- some of these companies have zero fabs in China, uh, there's bound to be something in that thing you buy that was manufactured in China. So it, it is going to affect everything. Yeah, it is. And his question becomes, though, like, is, is this something that surprised me? Do I change my opinion about pricing and availability? And I wrote like here. So when you ask a question like this, I, I got to I gotta ask that you state what you think I said, because I never thought things were going to be good this fall for availability. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally putting out videos saying cold gaming winter, you know, like you're not getting <laughs> anything or a lot of people are going to have trouble getting stuff. I mean, a lot of people have gotten what they wanted. I look at my discord by now. Multiple people have reached out saying their 6800 XT is great. So if you've been trying, it's there. It's just you, millions you, of people trying to get the same product. You do have to try to get it. You Oh, very much so. Much harder than the PS5 or Xbox Series X. But the, all of this is to say is, I know how many cards are being shipped every quarter, both from inside sources. Yes, some of the same ones who told me about Cypress Cove, guys, when you're, oh, maybe this is a bad source. <laughs> nope, not a bad source. And also just from public analysts that guys like they post these publicly. Like these are these are analysts 
that I've had on the show that tell me how many cards are being shipped. So I'm not amending anything I've said. The supply is true. What I've said is true. The numbers are true. But I've said they'd ship, they've shipped them. But the demand is out of control. And when it comes to tariffs and mining, uh, yes and no. I mean, I expected prices to be elevated by mining. Although the, 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 the profitability isn't what a lot of people think, but it doesn't really matter, right? See, this yeah. is a problem where I do make this mistake where it doesn't matter if it's as profitable as people think it is. If they think it is, they're going to buy the graphics cards. Yeah, I just think the, I, I don't think it's going to be as big as previous mining booms. That's it. Because some people will choose not to buy them. Some people are just getting out of mining forever. And I think sometimes people forget that even though I report something and warn people about things, I still think don't know that I'm going to make any difference. Like I said, mm-hmm. in the NVIDIA's Ultimate Play article, I literally say at the end of it, I don't think there's anything we can do. NVIDIA's holding supply until AMD launches theirs, and then they'll launch it, and people will forget about it and buy NVIDIA cards anyways. How many people in my Discord have I seen say, I'm tired of waiting for the 6800 XT and bought a 3090? Well, I told you you were probably going to do that, so. <laughs> yeah, a lot I've of people are going to do that. a million times. People complain, then it comes in stock, and they pretend NVIDIA didn't do anything, so. Yeah. So, no, I mean, like, the tariff thing is, I don't know. You know, I, I guess that's something I didn't keep as much a tra- uh, uh, track of. But, no, prices continuing to go up are not surprising me because people keep buying stuff. And the yeah. tariffs just add insult to injury is how I would put it. And, I don't know, their GPU prices are so out of whack right now as it is. Who knows if we'll even notice the increase in prices caused by it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because, you know, AMD keeping MSRP on their reference cards and extending the manufacture of them. But yeah, AMD may just increase the price of the 6800 XT to 750 and the 6800 non-XT to 750. And then AIBs will increase it to 8900. And, you know, yeah. they're already selling for that much, so they know they can. But yeah, VI Pass writes and says, as I am writing this, I am mining with a 3080 by my side with a 3800X. And when I'm not gaming, you can check the Bitcoin discussion with the blah, 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 blah. Well, he says you can check uh, if you don't believe me, but he's saying, I'm making $300 for my card and processor per month. Is the mining boom truly back? I went ahead and re-enabled my bots and snagged another 3080. So you guys should hate VI Pass, not me. He's the one with the bots. Because NVIDIA projected next mining boom, and you reported on it, and you quickly dismissed it. Perhaps NVIDIA knew something you didn't or let this conspiracy theories fly. Um, I mean... I, I, there's nothing I didn't know. Uh, I think people, again, confuse me saying it's not as profitable and it's not as bad with saying there won't be one. I never said there won't be another mining boom. I said there would be. And I said, go back to as many broken silicons as you want. I said, there's always going to be these influxes of new reasons to buy GPU, whether it's mining, rendering. People yeah. bought a lot of Vega yep. 64s and made render farms. I saw pictures of them and they looked a lot like mining rigs, guys. So... No, but, those, uh, but this isn't the same as 2017. VI passed. It's not. I made 300. I made what you're making with a 3080 with a 570. I had 2570s. So if you think this is comparable, you're just wrong. And again, it's like if everyone, and it doesn't matter how profitable it is if everyone thinks they're going to be rich. And I remember people building these 1060 rigs in like 2018 even or something. And I did the math and they weren't, they said, I'm going to make my money back in three months. And I did the math. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to make money back in two years. You're never going to get your money back. You used an i3 and three 1060s and you're mining in California where you're 
energy's triple mine or something. It's like, no, you're not. And and a lot of people delude themselves into thinking, but it doesn't matter, right? If a lot of people delude themselves into thinking mining is profitable as it was in 2017, doesn't matter if they're buying the cards. It just means that a lot of people will come to a rude awakening. Like I had a friend who mined through the summer in Texas and he didn't make money because he had to spend all his money on air conditioning. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I, the reason I bring it up is I think it will be a smaller boom. It's just that I think most of the people that are picking, starting out mining again, they're going to have been people that previously mined. So it is a smaller pool of people because I think people mine for a little bit and then they stop and then the, that pool of people gets smaller every boom. The person that was mining in 2014, I think most people that are mining today, they would have been mining in 2014 or 2017. I don't think we're getting new mine, many new miners at this point. I think just a lot of gamers like VI Pass have woken up to they can make a couple hundred bucks a month since they have cheap energy and they might as well. To which that's that, a good again, idea. Yeah, I endorse that. That's fine, but it's not. You know, like I'm trying to look here, like like I, like I know Arcs 570s were like a thousand dollars at one point, or 580s were. Mm-hmm. During during t- early 2018, so like the equivalent of that would be something like a 5700 XT. Wouldn't be surprised if it was 500 right now on eBay, but let's see what it is. <laughs> yeah, so they're like 700 bucks. Uh, nah, like 600. It depends. Someone's trying to sell one for 800, and he says it's 20 percent off. But then if I look at others, they're like four to 600. So I don't know what this guy who's trying to sell for 800 is smoking, but. You know, so wake me up when 5,700 XTs are selling for $1,500 because then we'll be back to where we were in 2017. Yeah. Which I'm not saying they won't, but I am saying the people who buy those won't make their money back. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i betting a lot of people aren't factoring in the energy bills when they say again, it's, I, it'll make money in three months. I'm betting a lot I, of people aren't. And I hope that makes sense again, VIPS. I'm not dismissing mining. I never said it wouldn't be a factor. But I am saying this isn't like the insane rush we had. I almost bought Titan Voltas because it would have paid itself off in a few months. It's a $3,000 card. This just isn't to that level yet. And I suspect it won't get there again. Will demand get there again? I don't know. But if it does, those a lot of people, more people are going to lose money than did in 2017. That's just, that's just what I think. So Benny Berlin writes in and says, Hey, Tom and Dan. When do you think AMD Radeon graphics cards and chiplet design will be available for us consumers? 2022. Uh, well, yeah, you kind of said it uh, earlier in the episode. They're pro- moving to a chiplet design, probably with Zen 4. <laughs> well, for RDNA 3. Not Zen 4 stuff. Yeah, RDNA 3. Dan? Yeah, we're getting a little tired here. Let's wrap this up. LTF writes in and says, Hi, Tom, and everyone else. It's, not, it's just Dan, so calm down. Maybe he's talking to the audience. No. No? Okay. No, you only get to say hi to us. Okay. Okay. Don't don't look at them. Look at me. (laughs) Reference to uh, Best in Show. Um, A a big movie of our childhood as our parents kept making us watch. It's funny, though. It's a good movie. Anyways, he goes, I've yet to participate in this Discord, but I want to answer to what you said at the beginning of the December Lucens about that you hope your podcast 
helps your listeners. For me, it certainly has been helpful since I found you through YouTube when you just had started your channel. If you were there since 2018, good God. Uh, <laughs> getting Moore's Laws Dead podcast in my RSS feeds are highlights every week for me because it's one of the most relaxing things to zone out with. For me, it's not so much about the leaks or hardware anymore, but I just like the way you both tell stories about the subjects. You could be telling completely made up stories and I still enjoy it almost as much. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. I feel like some tech tubers eventually were doing that. Because yeah. um, I don't even play video games anymore since I don't subscribe to you or support any- Since I don't subscribe to or support anything else, not even on Spotify, I decided to double my Patreon support at least this year. Please don't feel pressure about your work and don't let the haters and fanboys get to you. I wish a better 2021 for everyone that had a bad 2020. Well, we had a fort, what is it? Fortuitous 2020, actually. And I hope the podcast was a part of that for everybody. But um, and I mean, I don't know. I just threw this at the end here just because, again, it was kind of like a wrap-up, nice you know, thoughts, uh, reader mail that, yeah, I mean, uh, and I guess, you know, let me say this too, Dan. Like, I've been, so far, the feedback I'm getting from that die shrink, which again, put, put that there, guys, if you're listening, uh, at that last die shrink in the comments on Patreon. Like, people are... I expected, you know, because I'm considering doing a video show version of this at some point once we can get more people helping us on staff. And so far, the overwhelming feedback is, no, you can keep it audio because they like how we highly edit it so they don't have to be looking at a screen while they listen. And that is a good point about um, having a video podcast. You you really can't do that as much. It's It's harder to hide edits. When you have a when there's a visual medium to it as well, so like if one conversation goes on for too long, it looks ridiculous when you just cut between things. If you do it yeah. a lot, it's terrible. Yeah, it, that doesn't really work. Um, also, a lot of my guests want to be anonymous, so like that's a problem. Yeah, that's true, and I don't know. I don't know if I want to be on camera every week too. I I I would do it, but I would need a better looking looking set, as Tom could tell. Um, but got yeah. a lamp in the background. Got a lamp. Game discs back there. It seems like mostly books. I'm mostly. Oh, I'm sorry, books. Oh, yeah, smart Dan is my uh, cell biology I'm book. Dan, Tom. I know how to read. Oh, I'm Dan. I know how to read. <laughs> but yeah, um, and I mean, I'm just. I, I'm glad this podcast has been helpful for other people. That's. Uh, weird to hear. It's cool to hear, though. I mean, I know podcasts for me were right because three years ago you didn't see us no. <laughs> having one of the top tech podcasts or something. Yeah, and podcasts definitely helped me a lot this year. I mean, you for sure. You said we had a pretty fortuitous year, which I mean, we did. Your channel blew up. I, I I've started another big chapter in my life. Um, but you know, it was still a shitty year, even with all of the good things that happened to us personally, like. 2020 a lot still of lows sucked. and highs, right? Even for people like me and you, where it was, you could argue good. There's still, it was still just, I mean, <laughs> like just screaming on meth crazy at times. Like this has been a stressful year for everyone, I think. Yeah. So hopefully 2021 is better. We're about a month in. Um, and I don't know. Looks like it could be start getting better at some point. But yeah, so I guess that's what I would say is, look, if the demand was there for us to make the YouTube version, have video, I don't, I don't know. I I go back and forth whether it would just be a simple thing, but I don't think I would want it to be. I think I would want it to be like a show now. And then I would still probably want to be able to afford to make the RSS feed versions 
you don't need to look at anything. You can listen to it. It's highly edited, so it flows quickly and doesn't waste your time. But so I guess what I'm saying is, I don't want to do this thing where I just throw up a Skype recording. And I don't want to do this thing either where I make the podcast, the RSS feed versions lesser because now you feel like you have to be looking at a screen that we reference all the time. Like again, like your mom's house is one of my favorite shows, but I call it a show. Like I don't listen to it because I'll miss half of the stuff they're doing. Yeah. Like it, half of it. It's kind of funny how podcasts blew up and then 80% of podcasts became video podcasts. Like um, another favorite show of ours or podcast of ours, Comedy Bang Bang. That's one of the biggest podcasts. That's one of the podcasts that and blew they up the media. Keeping it audio, yeah, yeah. They still don't do it. A, a vi- well, they had the TV show, but the TV show was a full production. They, it's a different thing. They don't just upload a video of the recording every week. They it's still an audio only thing, right? And so I guess that what I'm saying is a lot of the feedback was we like what you have, just do what you think to consolidate things. And that's what I'm looking to do. Okay. We're still throwing around the ideas. Me and you have discussed this of maybe, like I, I just started putting out ad-free audio versions of Loose Ends for uh, $4 patrons. And I'm considering doing an extra die shrink. So, because the idea would be to have one patron only version of something every week in addition to the ad-free version of Broken Silicon to try to reward people more. And then I want to add something for the higher tiers, but I don't know what. But for the time being, it sounds like most of you are saying the current content we do is good. There's die shrinks, there's Broken Silicon, they're audio only. And then also our videos are very, they move fast, they're focused, and they're definitely videos. Yeah. And so for now, that's what I'm hearing from you guys you want us to keep doing. But that means to keep the current output where I'm basically, I'm both a top podcast and a YouTube channel that can get 50,000 to 100 or I guess 400,000 views per video on some videos. We need to hire more people though, is all I'm saying. And so that's what I'm going to prioritize doing is just making it so there's less busy work for me and you so we can keep the current output. And then we'll decide if we should increase any amounts of it. But for now, and again, if that means a video show version of Broken Silicon eventually, sure. But that, but from what I'm hearing, it would have to be its own thing, and the, we don't want to ruin the RSS feed. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, I, I do like po- having podcasts that are podcasts. So I assume there's other people. I, I appreciate too. it, like because when you have like a ten hour drive, which sometimes me and you do, having of these podcasts that are just as enjoyable driving as not is really nice. <laughs> Or when you're just sitting in a humid basement. Makes you work out more too. Yeah. Right. Or when you're just sitting in a humid basement cutting fins off of zebrafish, a thing we all do. Podcasts are great. A thing Dan assumes everyone is doing every week. Is that what? I thought that's what most people's jobs were. I I, I just have to assume because I don't remember anything else. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I think that just about does it. A reminder that's there. um, And we've got more uh, die shrinks coming very soon. Um, More guests that are lined up for Broken Silicon and more videos and leaks coming. Uh, Any last words, Dan? I think it's time to wrap this one up. No, I think we had long enough last words back there. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Laws Dead. Moore's Laws Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, 
audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasset, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Bedlin, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSBCFS, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Disaru, Daniel Hyde, Brad Dad, Tara Reed, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, my name is Nobody, Robert, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, J- Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Divider Sign, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Drita Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Sean Grant, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Hardforum.com, Sam McArthur, Total Silo, Sil Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Stu, Elenia, Nyan Nan, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Layton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Luca, Zabra Z. Zicky, Man Porsche, David Cowden, Rick D. Tan, Granadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquin Megan, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Calm Marco, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Chris Williams, Ryan Denescu, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Gabe Lagner, Paul B., Morton Svensson, Andrew S., Tom Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Ralph Schneider, Mai Sharona, Aaron, Roman, Jacob Stankiewicz, Jack Pym, Wakir Khan, Esiodir Abstein, Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futeau, Peter Moore, Chris Lakata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Dean Despotsky, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Louise Correa, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 